Chris, let's go ahead and bring up Ben. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, I had a couple, three questions. One, uh, my squash has uh, seemingly spindly stems. I mean, it seems like the leaves are growing too high, and we had it did have a good range the first time in many, many months, uh, a couple yes, of days ago, and it lays it on the ground. Uh is there anything can be done for that? Should I put dirt up around it, or what? Uh, what? What should I do with respect to that? Is is your squash out in full sun? Uh, some of it is, and some of it isn't. Uh, okay. It, 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 I guess. I guess it, my problem is it's not in full. Some of it's not in full sun. And that is you. You're just exactly right. That is what the problem is, because there's there's a hormone in the stems of plants, really in all parts of plants, that makes the cells stretch and elongate, and that hormone is broken down by sunlight. So when you've uh-huh. got something out in bright sun, it makes those cells much shorter, makes them much more compact, much stockier, much sturdier. And when we don't have enough sunlight, that's when they get kind of long and uh, a little bit spindly, a little bit weak. So uh, there's not a lot you can do about that unless you've got trees you can trim or something you can do to get a little bit more sun to them. And at this point, uh, you know, it's just fertilize and water and hope for the best. Uh, they they tend not to bloom as well if they don't get enough sunlight. So we're kind of just going to have to watch and see how they do. But uh, nothing wrong with your seed, nothing wrong with the way you're growing them. It's just that they don't have as much sunlight as they need. And you're always going to wind up with a little bit spindlier plant when, when that's the situation. And that, that is that same thing true with beets? That same thing's true with every every plant on the planet, so far as I know. Oh, okay. Maybe not algae okay. and things like that, but every every vascular plant, shall we say, on the planet. Okay, okay. Uh, the the other another question is along those same lines. Is uh, uh, for instance, after after the rain, you've got uh, uh, little beets. Uh, I, I mean, that are just basically three inch tall uh, plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that lay over that has been washed around around the base of them. Does it is it does it help to to take your finger and, and push those back down into the soft wet earth there, or, um, or should I just start over? Well, getting awful late to start over with beets. What I yeah. would tend to do is maybe just take a few handfuls of soil. I worry if we're applying too much physical pressure to them that we're going to break up the roots and cause some other problems there. So I would just grab a handful of dry soil if you can find such or grab a bag of potting soil and just kind of add a little bit around the base of the plant and maybe, in effect, kind of prop that top up a little bit by pulling it up and put some soil behind it and in front of it. And I think that would be my choice rather than trying to physically push them further into the ground. Now, once again, beets, uh, like any root vegetable, they need sunlight to build the sugars, which is what makes the big beets. Nice thing about beets, you can eat the greens whether you get a decent beet out of them or not. But uh, keep up your watering, keep up your fertilizing, and again, if there's any tree trimming or things you can do to get a little more sun to them, they're sure going to make uh, better plants for you. Uh, the third thing I had, Bob, uh, is 
after the rain, and I had I had grubbed around all the, all the plants pretty good, you know, so that the so, so that the soil wasn't just compacted. Right. And of course, it's compacted again. <laughs> uh, and, and I guess I just go I guess go back and, and do the same thing to, so that the earth is not just a, a plain there with no uh, opportunity to catch any water. Well. As long as you can do it without disturbing the roots of the plant, um, you can you can reconfigure the surface of the soil as much as you like, but be sure that you're not getting down there because a lot of vegetables have very, very fine little roots. They're fairly widespread. The mycorrhizal fungi that many vegetables, you know, are supported by also is very fine, thin little filaments that spread a long way through the soil. So you don't want to do a lot of soil disturbance. Now, I would be working at softening the soil. I'd be adding some compost. I'd probably be spraying some molasses around, using some Medina soil activator. I'd be doing everything you can to work naturally against that compaction and a little bit of physical moving of things around is not a bad deal but boy be sure you're not getting down low enough that you're messing with the roots because those plants need every root they eat they have to give you the kind of yield that you're looking for whether it's beets whether it's uh, squash or whether it's tomatoes all right well thank you so much for the information well, I'm glad you're doing well, and it's always a pleasure to visit with you. I appreciate you calling in early, Ben. Call me anytime. Yes, sir. Bye. Thank you so much, and goodbye. All right, my next two callers will be Jim and John, and Jim is up first. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing very well for a chilly Saturday morning. It was 45 degrees at my house this morning, but maybe this is our Easter cold front just coming. could just come a week early. And a little windy, too. Yeah, not as bad as I expected, and thank God we didn't get the hail that they were, you know, talking so much about early. But uh, let's just say I have on several layers this morning. I didn't know how warm the office would be, so uh, I thought it was about to be back to shorts and T-shirts weather, but Mother Nature kind of put us on hold a little bit there. We'll be back warm before long. Yeah, probably about two days. One simple simple question. I've got uh, hanging baskets of... uh, Bougainvillea that are well uh-huh. established, been in been in the pots for years. Never had any insect problems with them. And yesterday I went out and the leaves have been eaten significantly, almost like they were cabbage loopers that had eaten the leaves. Right. Um, and the leaves, uh, there are little black things about two millimeters in size scattered around on on the top of the leaves. I looked for caterpillars. I couldn't see one. I have no idea what this is. I suspect it's caterpillars that you don't see. There's a big old black fuzzy caterpillar they call a woolly bear, and that guy can hide out. I think they bury themselves down in the soil, but they love bougainvillea leaves. And uh, Now, these are not like little round circles cut out of the leaves, are they? Because that's a different creature. They're just actually big chunks taken away. Yeah, they're just eating the edges of them. Like I said, it looks like a cabbage looper, but yeah. no, you know it's not. I uh, would, I I would probably just to be on the safe side. I would do two things. I get your usual BT Bacillus thuringiensis, whatever name you buy it under, and right. you always add a little molasses when you mix it up, so it has a little more staying power. But you can spray that on, and it will stay there 
The thing about BT, it's a stomach poison, so it doesn't right. have to come in direct contact with the caterpillar, uh, but the caterpillar comes out and eats a leaf that has some of it on it. It stops feeding immediately and dies within a few hours. Now, if that doesn't stop the damage, then I'm probably going to spray with spinosad because you could have uh, some beetles, you could have had some different things after them but my suspicion is just that you're very accurate it's a it's like a cabbage looper it's just a different caterpillar and that's almost always the case when they start chewing on the outside of the leaf and just eat their way in the other thing it looks like yeah Yeah. the other thing that you may occasionally see is there be like little perfect circles will be cut out of the leaves starting at the edge that is a little flying creature we call the leaf-eating bee and uh, those guys you pretty much ignore because they'll be gone in about three weeks' time. They have a very brief period. But for whatever reason, they love bougainvilleas, they love roses, or just a handful of plants. But you can always identify them because uh, the cutting is always like almost a perfect circle cut out of the leaf. And with those guys, like I say, there's not much works against them. But the good news is they're here and gone very quickly. I think what you've got would probably be, and you might find this guy if you went out at night with a caterpillar, but this big old fuzzy caterpillar with uh, black hair all over it and kind of orange rings, you know, around the center of it. And that guy can eat his weight and uh, bougainvillea leaves every night. Well, they've done it. Um, I've already sprayed once with uh uh, the, the, not the spinoside, but the other product. And yeah, the BT. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it again. I'm gonna hit it again with BT, and as uh, soon as the sun comes up, that sounds good. But add a little bit of molasses, the equivalent of about a teaspoon or so of molasses. That makes that BT about forty times more effective. And I don't know why the manufacturers won't put it on the label, but uh, um, it just it it makes it so much better as far as. Uh, staying around a little bit longer and killing the caterpillars a little more effectively. And it doesn't have to be any special molasses, just the stuff you got for your pancakes in there or just, you know, cattle feed molasses. Yeah. Very good. Well, I thank you very much. Have a great day. You do the same, Jim. Always a pleasure to visit. Thank you, sir. I do have a couple of open lines if you want to grab one. You know the number, 210-599-5555. And uh, John is up next. Uh, good morning, John. Yes, sir. Uh, I've got a bunch of little sprouts under my oak trees. Just, yes, sir. I don't know that it's coming off the roof. I'm assuming it's coming off the roof. Yes. When I mow, I know that if I cut a branch or something, I've got it got to treat it what do i do about those because there's probably thousands of them (laughs) that that's always the tough question and i have asked that question to the best arborist i know and they say the chance of getting oak wilt into a tree through that tiny little wound is very very minimal and there's just you know there's just not a lot that you can do about it periodically i get out with my grub and hoe and I'll just go around and, you know, and, and I've got, you know, not hundreds, but, you know, maybe a dozen of them coming up around a tree. And just with a single swing, I will try to cut those things off below ground level. And that way I don't worry about it because I figure if the, if the wound is buried down in the soil, there's no way those little beetles that could carry the oak wheels are going to get to it. But, uh, if they're like in the grass, uh, I just, uh, yeah, I, I think the thing is, don't let them get really big. As uh, you well know, if you didn't cut those things off, 
give it a couple of months to grow, they'd be as big as your little finger and uh, probably a foot tall. And something that big, I'd be a little bit more concerned. And, again, what I usually do with those guys is, is chop them off below ground level, you know, with a grub and hoe. If, you, if they were big enough that you had to go after them with the pruning shears and you couldn't get below ground level, I would probably go ahead and coat something that's, you know, like I say, as big as your finger is. But uh, those little bitty thin guys that you're going to mow off uh, every week or ten days, I just wouldn't worry about it uh, from right. what my friend David Vaughn tells me is he's never seen a case of oak wilt being contracted in that fashion. Excellent. Okay. Okay. That's what I need to know. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have a good well, day. Well, you do the same. I sure appreciate the call this morning. Thank you, sir. All right. Let me uh, let me check my my message list here from Chris. It looks like uh, next up is going to be J.C. in Lavernia. And uh, then we're going to uh, uh, be sure I'm following this, and then uh, it'll be Faye over near Houston. So uh, good morning, J.C. Hey, Bob. Uh, I planted tomatoes this week. Good. <laughs> and I was putting out a uh, – I was raking up some old leaves to uh, uh, put out for a mulch over them. Uh-huh. And fleas started hopping. Oh, man. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And so I went and got some some uh, uh, nematodes. Okay. And I sprayed them out yesterday morning. Uh huh. And we had this beautiful, and I watered them in, and we had this beautiful rain on and off all day. And then about six thirty last night, we had a gully washer. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was out on the porch. I said, "Thank you, Lord." And but uh, uh, I just uh, uh, wondering. Do I still have nematodes, or did they get washed away? No, your nematodes. Uh, this was actually the perfect situation for nematodes because they were getting the moisture they need during the day. You know, the they don't they don't crawl, they don't walk, they swim, and so you had mm-hmm. the moisture so that they were getting down um, into the uh, into the soil where they need to be. And uh, you you should be in good shape. I think that they were probably just happy with all that rain. And I think, you know, it takes them a week or so to uh, really get um, really get spread through the soil where they can start killing the fleas effectively. But I would not worry about it. I suspect you have 99% of what you sprayed out earlier, and you should be just fine. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, I was just enjoying that rain and... Uh worrying about my nematodes <laughs> <laughs> well i'm i'm glad you didn't have anything to worry about like high wind or hail or tornadoes or i tell you what the news media have just gotten to where they can't broadcast anything except the worst case scenario about everything in the world and uh i i guess they have to warn us and let us know about possibilities but i'm like you i just uh uh, didn't get that gully washer of a rain, but you got about half an inch overall, and that's that's as good as we've had in a while. So maybe my turn will come today. In the meantime, you just uh, look out there and watch those trees grow and watch those wildflowers smiling. It's uh, how, do you know how much rain you got? It, it, I think we got about an inch. Yeah, that's a good, that's a, a great deal. We get another two or three inches on top of that. We'll be we'll be ready to move into spring. So, um, don't worry happy. about your nematodes. So let me know how you do on the fleas, and I'll look forward to the next right. visit, JC. Bob, I have a, a tough question for you. Oh, okay, go ahead. 
Where can we where can we get those uh, construction masks so we can mow without oak pollen? Oh, you know, <laughs> you you may actually have to go online, um, but I'll I tell did. you. That... I did it at 5 o'clock this morning. I went to the Home Depot site and just said, sold out, sold out, sold out. Have you got an old bandana? Kind we used to wear on the trail when it was kicking up the dust. I tell you, I, that's what I use when I'm out mowing a lot, and your good old-fashioned cowboy bandana is about as good a mask as you can find. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Have a wonderful day. You do the same, JC. Thank you, sir. All right, uh, let's talk to Faye, and then it'll be Penny and Tony. Good morning, Faye. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Right. We kind of need to watch how much we worry about and how much uh, uh, the media would just take over our our whole day. So, <laughs> you know, and the, I, I talk to people, I talk to doctors, I talk to a lot of people in the industry, and they say, be careful, but don't drive yourself, you know, crazy with worry. But I have various friends that are really staying at home, and when they stay at home, all they do is sit and watch the friggin' newscast, and these people are petrified. They're going to die of fear a long time before they die of COVID-19, so... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's something we all need to be aware of and do our part to stop the spread of. But at the same time, it uh, you can't dominate your life or you're not going to be a very happy person. Oh, for sure. I think that really sizes it up. Um, I had uh, oh, the, I do have a quick question for you as a science guy on the alcohol. You know, I usually pick up these fifty percent. Uh, bottles here and there right. just to keep some on hand. And uh, now that, you, you know, they uh, evidently, is that just not strong enough for many of the things that uh, we no, I, from From everything I'm seeing, 50% is what you're aiming at. You want at least 50%. 70%, which is what most of the isopropyl alcohol is, is uh, probably a little bit better. But everything I read and see says 50% or more, you're in good shape. Good, good. Well, that's it's been a lot more available, and I've got several bottles around here. And when there's a need, I'll I'll uh, have confidence that I've got. What well, I need. I'll tell Thank you, me. and I'll tell you what we're doing, Faye, because you simply can't find those sanitizing wipes. I mean, I'm not going to go get in line at you know six o'clock in the morning for a store that opens at eight just so I can get those. Because I look at all these crazy people; they're concerned about social distancing, and they're standing there in line just gabbing away and chatting away, and probably. <laughs> You know, a whole lot more exposed. So what we do, once we ran out of the little, you know, official different brands of the sanitizing wipes, one thing you can usually find at the store are what they call the baby wipes, and those are not sufficient to sanitize, but we simply open that little thing on top, pour in a liberal amount of the alcohol so that they really become alcohol-saturated, and that's what we use. I mean, we we sanitize. When I came in early this morning, I was doing door handles and, uh, you know, phone receivers and keyboards on the computers and on the calculators and things like that, and so we just are kind of making our own sanitizing wipes uh, with the alcohol and uh, with those. They're, they're a little bit tougher than just using a paper towel, but I think with the little 
clever creativity, we're all going to get through this just fine. That's what we're doing here around Shades of Green, and we, we use them all the time. But uh, now that I say that, probably everybody's going to run out and grab up all of those uh, little baby wipe things. But that's what we use. We just uh, increase the concentration of the disinfectant in it by adding a bunch of our 70% alcohol, and uh, it's working real well for us. You know, that's a great idea. We've been doing that just take one by one when there's been kind of a, a reason to do that. And, uh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, the, those big, the Costco type stores, they sell a big box of lots of yeah. Them. Yeah. inexpensive. So they are, you know, for business, it might be worth going into that kind of a place. But, well, thank you for that, Bob. And the other thing is, I've got some poison ivy, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and uh, I'm not real susceptible to it, but careful. Will, will orange oil and uh, vinegar touch that at all? It it what I do with it, Faye, is I cut it off at ground level, and then I because you know it's just too much to try to spray that vine that's kind of grown all over the place. So I cut it off at ground level, and then when it starts to sprout out, <clears throat> sprout out, I sometimes have to spray a couple of times, but that's how I kill it out. And remember, if you're going to handle it, do not use leather gloves because the toxic sap will seep right into a leather glove, whereas if you wear just uh, dishwashing gloves or some kind of glove like that, you can just rinse any of that sap off. And uh, I'm like you. I've never been bothered by it, but they say as you get a little older, and that happens every day, um, that you become more susceptible to having problems with it. So I'm very careful in what I do with it. But just remember, where I wear leather gloves for cutting cedar and all the other things I do around the ranch, when it comes to dealing with poison ivy, I'll put on my old dishwashing gloves and uh, that I can wash with afterwards. And uh, um, knock on wood, this far I've had zero problems, so we hope it continues. Um, well, thank you for that. And also, I have some wild honeysuckle, I think, that just would take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, will that same trick, will, will that, uh, will the, uh, Orange oil and vinegar uh, work on do, that. Do the same thing. Uh, cut or pull everything you can out down to ground level, and then when it first starts coming out, hit it with the orange oil and vinegar. It'll take two or three sprays, but it will kill it. Good, good. Well, uh, and then of those strong vinegars, um, pickling vinegar, and then there's one even up from that in terms of uh, acidity or whatever. What right, and that's you'll find at a nursery or feed store that's 20%, and that's as strong as I would ever use. Okay, great. You covered everything I had for you this morning. and thank Well, you and our timing was perfect because I'm 10 seconds away from news now. So <laughs> you go have a good weekend. As soon as we come back, we'll talk to Penny and Tony and Tracy, and we start with Penny. Good morning, Penny. Or Tony, okay. Uh, we, okay, good morning, Tony. Good morning. Good morning. I'm calling on behalf of my son. Okay. With a silly question. No Uh, such thing. (laughs) He lives up uh, north of of, uh, Bulberry in Spring Branch. Yes. And he has, uh, you know, some property up there and a couple of little um, uh, miniature horses. Uh Uh-huh. And he said, come here, let me show you this patch of grass. And we, he took me over there. He says, he says, look at this, this grass. And the horses were eating it. And it's very green, wide blade. I mean, it's just a patch. Mm-hmm. And 
is real long, a lot longer than the than the native grass that's there. Right. And I said, "How? Why is that doing that?" And he said, "Because I don't, he said I don't know, but it's where I pour my grease when he's right <laughs> something. He'll pour his grease right there, and it's got this beautiful emerald green. And I don't know if what that could possibly be." Well, it's it, it's almost certainly an annual grass. Uh, some people think it's a weed, but, you know, my doggies think it's great to roll in, and the horses and cattle think it's great to eat. They call it Texas winter grass, and it's going to die out when it gets real hot. Now, that's interesting that it's thriving. You know, basically all greases, as they break down, they release things that are actually nutrients to plants. I've, uh, I'm not sure... That that grass is is green because of the grease going there, or whether it's green in spite of the grease going there, because I've got the same grass grows all over the place on my ranch, and inside outside the fence, the cattle keep it eaten down to about an inch tall. Inside the fence, if I don't mow it, it gets about ten or twelve inches tall. So it's called Texas winter grass, and. Uh, it may be that the grease is modifying the soil or doing something that just makes that a better place for it to grow, but uh, certainly no harm in it, uh, and I'm sure the, the ponies enjoy uh, enjoy nibbling on it a bit. So Texas winter grass, if you want to tell them what it's called. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. It's good to hear from you, Tony. Thank you. Right. And, Chris, if I've got my numbers right now, I believe Penny is up next. Is that correct? And then it'll be Tracy and Don. Good morning, Penny. Hi, Bob. Hi there. I, uh, I have 50 bulbs of, you know, of flowers. 25 of them are freesia. And I can't remember the name of the other 25. Um, but I wanted to know if, um, uh, how far apart I should plant them. And then also, uh, will they come back every year? Um, or do I need to like dig up the bulbs? at a certain time, and, and then replant them the next season. Well, freesias, you better just buy new bulbs every season. Freesias are wonderful little bulbs. They are so fragrant. It's what, uh, you know, really is one of their big attractions. I really wish you planted them a little bit earlier so they would have had a chance to get their roots established because uh, uh, they're just not going to last real long once we get into the heat. But uh, freesias, are, they, they won't have time to rebuild themselves after blooming to where there'll be much bulb to dig up and store. They're just, they're going to pretty much use up everything they've got blooming for you this spring, and uh, there won't be anything left to dig up, and they rarely, I don't think, have ever known freesias to come back. The only bulb that comes back consistently year after year after year are the ones that we call naturalizing narcissus um, and the true amaryllis, the American amaryllis. Um, those are spring blooming bulbs that come back. Summer blooming bulbs like crinums, yeah, they're just fine. But, you know, the tulips, the hyacinths, hyacinths might come back for a second year, but rarely a third. And your big flowered uh, daffodils, those we pretty much have to treat them as annuals and replant every year. And I and I dig them up every year, correct or no? No, ma'am. After, it's, after, uh, no. 
if you, you know, let's say you had, uh, and, and let's use tulips, for instance. You had a tulip bulb that's about two inches in diameter. You plant it, and it just uses everything it has to come up and bloom for you in the spring. Uh, at the end of the spring, if you were to dig it up, you'd probably have a little bulb that was half an inch in diameter, and it would not have enough energy to do much of anything next spring. It's... Uh, um, you can spend $5 worth of effort to, you know, save a $1 bulb if you want to get out there and fertilize weekly, uh, cultivate constantly and hope that it doesn't get too hot too quickly. But in all honesty, for the price of a good cup of coffee, you can buy several bulbs and it's just not worth your while to try to save them from year to year. Now, amaryllis, if you want to dig them up, you certainly can. They are very much worth saving, but, um, Honestly, unless we have just a horribly cold winter, they're going to come back just fine in the ground if you just uh, fertilize them and water them periodically through the spring while they're growing and then uh, uh, don't have to do much of anything with them in the summer months. They'll die back in the fall and then give you those beautiful blooms again, uh, you know, in during the winter months or very early spring. But um, the other bulbs are what we call your Dutch bulbs. They're just not really worth uh, trying to dig up and save. They they just uh, diminish so they just, you know, use all their energy in blooming the first time, and they're just not anything worth uh, worth trying to dig up afterwards. Okay, and, and how far apart do I plant them? Um, well, I don't know what your second bulb is. Your little freezes, I'd plant them about six inches apart. Okay, great. All right. And get well, those planted today. Get those planted today. They, they need to go in as quickly as possible. If you do them again, do them, you know, much early in the spring and they'll give you better results. Okay. You have a great day. You do the same, Penny. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. All right. Uh, Tracy is up next. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Question one is, what can I wash my car with that will not kill my grass or plant? Um, uh, you know, just almost any kind of uh, detergent will do just fine and it's not gonna it's not gonna cause any problems and we actually recommend that you wash your car not on the driveway but if your home is such as you can do it uh in order to avoid wasting the water would rather see you move that car over on the lawn somewhere wash it there and as long as you're not using uh any strong bleaches or anything like that and there's no reason to do that on the car probably ruin your finish if you did uh just uh you know any almost any kind of soap uh will work just fine oh perfect okay and then question uh on gladiolas, do those come up again year there, after year with those bulbs? The um, there are a couple of different types of glads. There is a little gladiolus, they call them Byzantine glads. They're either an intense purple color or they're white. Uh, now they make a small flower. The foliage only gets uh, maybe six inches tall. And those return year after year after year very, very successfully. The big, tall gladiolus, and it's, it's a bulb rather than a, or I'm sorry, a corm actually rather than a bulb. And they do not come back dependably. Sometimes they will come back for you but uh once again if if you're 
you know, most of us, if we're growing the bigger glads, we, we cut them to use in the, you know, as, as cut flowers and things, and they just don't regenerate really well. If you leave them out in the garden and after the flowers are spent, you fertilize and take really super, super good care of them. Yes, they, if we don't have a super cold winter, they may come back for you the next year. But once again, gladiolus are very inexpensive. And if you're really looking for success, you know, for the price of one dinner out, you can have a whole big patch of gladiolus that can last you for several weeks in the spring. The, so, What is the planting time? Let's say I have one group that I plant and I want more flowers. I plant the next group at one time. What is the span of planting a gladiola? About, about two to three weeks. And okay, you start so planting... Yeah, start planting as, the soil, as soon as the soil warms up in the spring. Right now would be a perfect time to be planting your gladiolus. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, and have a good day. Oh, it's always a pleasure talking with you. You do the same. I appreciate it, Tracy. Okay, bye. Goodbye. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Don and Kim and Harold and Raul. Don is up first. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. Uh, I got morning, a sir. question. I've got a, I planted a couple of... Uh, cherry tomatoes it's all sugarly. I don't know if you heard them or not. They're supposed to be new this year. Just yeah, they're they're uh, on the small side, but yes, sir, it should be a pretty good cherry. Yeah. Well, what it is, they got up about they grew normally up about three and a half, four feet, and then they got up the top there, and they just stop the uh, normally you have the plant grows, and then it, it has leaves, and then them it'll come out with some 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 fruit, you know. Well, right at the end of my plant, they just stop growing. And they put out about five or six or eight tomatoes, and then there's no growth, no more. And Don, the whole top of my plant is yellow with blooms, and they, everything just like stopped right there. There's no he, continuous growth. There's just a, at the end of it, there's about five or six tomatoes hanging there straight in the air, and there's no, no growth from the side at all. What, guess, what you. What you might do, again, that's not a variety that I've grown. I would do a little research on it, and it may be that it is what we call a determinate tomato. There are two types of tomatoes. There's determinate and indeterminate. A determinate tomato grows to a certain spot and then stops growing, produces its tomatoes, and that's it. That's what your commercial people are always looking for because they want to go in and pick them with a machine, shake the fruit off, and never have to lay human hands on it. The kind that we that I grow in my garden are what we call indeterminates, and I think that's what you've always had in the past. And they're basically just a big vine. They'll just keep on growing until they freeze. My suspicion is, and like I say, I'd, I'd have to look it up to be sure, but I'd be willing to bet you this sugary is probably a determinate tomato, and that's what they do. They grow up to a certain size, and then they just stop growing, and that's it. Because uh, again, so many, most of the new varieties are. Not for the home gardener, but for the commercial gardener. So I would look it up and see if it's a determinate. If it's not, if it says it's an indeterminate, it may just be waiting for hotter weather to put on more growth. But from what you're describing, I would bet you it's a determinate tomato, and that's just the way that those things are programmed to grow and produce. I don't plant determinants because I like having the production over time. The closest thing I plant to a determinate is uh, um 
celebrity, which is they call a semi-determinant, and it, it goes on producing. But, man, when it comes to cherries, I plant Sun Gold, Sweet 100, Black Cherry, uh, there are a Juliet. Those are all good ones that keep on producing. I, I, I'll try to check if I get enough time on my next break. I'll try to look up sugary. But my suspicion is it's just a determinant, and that's the way they grow. That's what the time is on it. On it. And one other yeah. thing, I've got squash that are huge. Some of them are decent squash, but it's got some plants that are leaves that are a foot and a half, two foot across, and but they're not blooming or nothing. Just big old plants sitting there. And, and you uh, said this this is squash. Yeah, squash is zucchini and uh, and uh, so straight neck. Yeah, most of the zucchini there. A couple of them are just the other ones are blooming like crazy, and then a the couple of them are just sitting there, great big old huge leaves, big old stems, and not a bloom or nothing nowhere. They will get around to blooming. Keep on watering and fertilizing. I don't know what it is. These uh, again, these seeds uh, have to get up to a certain number of days of growth and production. Some of them always come in a little early, but uh, my suspicion is they just haven't turned over that little chemical switch that says, "Okay, we're mature now. We can start blooming." So uh, uh, hang in there with them. I've never seen a squash that didn't eventually produce, but. Uh, uh, some of them are just going to be behind the others. How long have your others been producing? Oh, for about, a, about four, four, five, six days here. Yeah, I'd, I'd give them another week or two, and I'll bet you they'll be producing the same way. They're huge. I mean, giant leaves, right? Big old limbs, you know, coming up on them, but no fruit. Well, you know, going back to all my old days of, of growing orchids, we used to get it's uh, a genetic modification that that's usually is accidental it can be induced but um, it, it's a weird thing and I don't want to get too technical but they call it tetraploidy and what it does with plants it makes them bigger makes the flowers bigger but it takes them twice as long to get up to uh you know to a productive state so uh, it may just be that you've got a couple of genetic variants in there among your seed and the bad news is that they're slower to produce the good news is when they do produce they produce lots and lots and uh, a little bit bigger fruit Right. Well, one other question. Uh, I've never come over and saw a mutant monoxin build up. I, I put, got the, those uh, uh, alfalfa pellets and put it around and stuff on it, but uh, still, I got the thing here. I checked the monoxin and saw that it's what nitrogen shows low. But the yeah. and fossil is high, but nitrogen is low. What can you put on it straight in there that uh, they don't take? I put a bunch of that alfalfa in there, and, and they kind of Work it in the sun, but you know you can't work it in around the plants. You know because how, the roots around them. How are your plants looking? They just uh, and they're not growing at all. I got, okay. I got some on there. They're planting some beech, and about three, four foot came up real good. The rest of them all come up. They're sitting there for two months, and they, you see the little red thing sticking out of the ground. They don't grow. And my onions, the same place. You got those good little green onions that came up. And then right. they just sit there for two, two, three weeks. What I would, what I would do, Don, is go to a little bit of foliar feeding. Get a good liquid like Medina's has to grow, or there's no fish fertilizer, or uh, the Fox Farm folks make a couple of good organic fertilizers. And what I suspect is happening, you probably you're getting nutrients in the soil, but they're getting bound up by the soil chemistry you've got down there. And uh, I think if you try a little bit of foliar feeding, you're going to get a lot better and a lot faster results. And if you if you want an accurate soil test. 
there's a place down in the Rio Grande Valley um, that uh, actually they, they do a different type of testing. It's called the uh, Texas uh, Plant and Soil Labs, TPSL, Texas Plant and Soil Labs. And the way NOI does it is they use a different chemistry, and they don't try to tell you what's in the soil. They tell you what's available to the plants, and they do it through something they call the carbon dioxide extraction method because your standard soil test all it does is tell you what's in the soil, but it doesn't tell you what's there that your plants can use. If you ever want a real good, uh, accurate analysis of the condition your soil's in, you don't take it right off the surface. You go two, three inches down, send your soil sample down to Texas Plant and Soils Labs. They're, they're just as cheap as A&M and the standard guys, but they give you a much more accurate test. And uh, you can see if you're really deficient in things or if they're just simply not in a form that the plants can't get to. In the meantime, you go to about once a week foliar feeding, and I think you'll see a good resumption of growth. Okay. Well, I put the Medina Saw, uh, Medina Plus on there, and, you know, I had seen it has done, had no effect on it at all. Everything just sitting there like... It well, that's not I a fertilizer. That's not no, a fertilizer. Well, it says 323, so... I don't know. Now that's that's not soil activator. That's going to be uh, probably one of your has to grow products. Uh, soil activator is strictly things in there to uh, change the composition of the soil and get your microbes up. The soil activator and the Medina Plus. But if you get the uh, Medina has to grow plant, that is what you want to really put the growth on your plants. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Go well, it's my I appreciate that, and uh, you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, Chris, let's go ahead and get Kim in here before the next break. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Um, I have a couple of questions. I called you last year about uh, jicama, and I only got a big taproot. I never got, and you thought that maybe I planted too late. So I, right. I left it in the ground hoping it would bloom so I would get more seed. It never bloomed. It, it did get a lot larger, and I finally, I needed the space in my, it was in a raised bed. Right. But I have planted it earlier this time. It's in a raised bed. Possibly I didn't water it enough as well. Does it need a lot of water? Because those raised beds mm. seem to... You know, it's it's one of those plants, it'll usually tell you if it's thirsty. Those leaves, uh, you know, as, as you discovered, it's just a big vine. Those leaves will get a little droopy. If you're not seeing droopy leaves, it's probably got adequate moisture. I water mine about twice a week, and that seems to work real well on them. But, uh, yeah, okay. it's time to get your hecame seed planted now. Um, oh, I, I, I planted them two weeks ago. So okay. <laughs> are they up and growing sure. yet? Yes, most of them are. Well, I I predict uh, plenty of hecama for you this summer. Okay, great. Also, I planted some um, cucumbers and beans, and I'll come out there and, like, the top will just be whacked off. Is that snails? It's either snails or pill bugs. The main thing I fight in my garden on uh, on beans is pill bugs. And uh, you can either make a, a pill bug trap by taking a you know a slick sided glass jar or something, bury it down into the ground so that the rim is just maybe oh a half an inch or a quarter of an inch up. Put a slice of apple or a little piece of lettuce or something in the bottom. The pill bugs crawl into it by the hundreds and can't get out. Okay. 
Uh, if you would prefer to use a non-toxic bait, there is one out there called Sluggo Plus, S-L-U-G-G-O Plus. Yeah, and that one will get snails, slugs, and pill bugs. But if something's chewing yeah. your beans off at ground level and eating the little cotyledons off of them, I'd be willing to bet you it's most likely pill bugs. Okay. Yeah, it's after they have their true leaves, and they're fairly large. Yeah. And uh, and I tried this, even with one with the straw trick that I learned from uh, reading the Howard Garrett and Malcolm Beck book, you know, mm-hmm. which is like one of the best tips ever. And I still, it just chopped the whole head off of one of my cucumbers, and I'm like, seriously? Well, um, sometimes you will get a caterpillar that does that, and what what I do if I have a problem with uh, with those guys is when I when the seeds first sprout, when they first come up. Obviously, you can't do this once they get very big, but I'll take something like an old soup can or something, cut out both ends, and just press it down into the soil around the plant. And the blasted little uh, worms that, that just cut them off at the ground like that, they don't climb. And if you can make any kind of a ring around them that's two, three inches tall, uh, that will totally protect them. They call them cutworms is what they call them. And uh, okay. you occasionally will see those on uh, mainly on squash, peppers, and tomatoes. You don't if it's on beans, then it's almost always pill bugs. But on the other things, oh. if you're just cutting them off at the ground level, could be cutworms. And uh, that just that little physical barrier around them is one of the best things. The other thing you can use okay. is the powdered form of BT. They call Dipel, D-I-P-E-L. You can dust them with Dipel, but you need to refresh it every time you water every time we get a rain so uh uh that's sometimes a little physical barrier so a lot less work and then there was some spotting brown spotting on my beans before they cut them off because i did get that problem um is that a virus no it probably is a fungus uh, try to not water at night, and if you have an ongoing problem with it, make your own fungicide by soaking a little bit of whole ground cornmeal in water and spray with that, and uh, that'll stop it 100%. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, back to gardening. Uh, one line open. Better dial quickly if you want to grab it. You know the number, 210-599-5555. We're going to talk to Harold, Raul, and Curtis, and Harold is up first. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. Enjoying morning. the train? I wish I'd had more, but I'm not going to complain. <laughs> Fifty-one hundred, so just over half an inch. I, I'm just jealous of those guys a little further north, a little further south, that got two and three inches. But you right. know, it's. Uh, I'm glad for every drop that falls from the sky. How about you? <laughs> exactly. Likewise, <laughs> it's a blessing. Uh, yes, Bob, it is. Uh, three, three questions. Um, Red tips, they are about uh, nine and a half years old, and I trimmed them at about six and a half feet. And I noticed this week uh, I have little red uh, spots on them. And uh-huh. I'm just wondering if they're if they coming to the end of the years or just a fungus or something. Well, it it is a disease. Uh, it's called Antimosporium. It... Uh, I, you know, my favorite product to use on red trips is called chainsaw, and you apply it right at ground level. <laughs> but if you wanna, if you wanna nurse a, a little bit more time out of them, number one, red red tips hate to be pruned, and you know oh, if okay. you if you can let them grow, they're gonna grow ten, twelve, fifteen feet tall. Right, but. You will, every time you prune them, you make them more susceptible to that entomosporium disease. So, 
we need to kind of get away from pruning, except just to keep them out of the sidewalk or whatever. But they're okay. just not a six-foot hedge. They're a 12-foot hedge. Oh, okay. Uh, Second thing, feed them regularly. I'd be feeding them probably four times a year with a good organic fertilizer like Medina or Nature's Creation or Maestro Grow. And thirdly, I use Texas I, tea on my lawn. What's that now? I use Texas tea on my lawn. Yeah, Texas tea from Maestro Grow is a great product. And uh-huh. uh, just put an extra amount around your red tips. And keep okay. a good mulch around the base of those uh, photanias. You'll get, you know, to treat the intimosporum, you're just treating symptoms. You're not treating the cause of the problem, and it doesn't really do much good. Just waste your money. Okay. But if you'll if you'll stop pruning, if you'll feed a little more heavily, maintain a good mulch around them, you can probably nurse another five years of good uh, good growth out of them before you okay. <laughs> before you go before you make firewood out of them. And some of them they get big enough they practically make firewood. Okay. And the second question, Bob. Uh, I know you talk about this every year, but brown spots in St. Augustine. There are several different things that cause brown spots. How how big are your uh, are your brown uh, areas, Harold? Oh, how large? Uh, six inches, six by, feet. Yeah, two by two. Okay, you don't have Seven a big dog, feet. do you? No, no. Okay. Dogs. Because up to that size, dog urine can do it, especially when it starts getting hotter. But okay. if if uh, the thing to do is to go out and reach down, grab one of those uh, brown leaves on the St. Augustine. If uh-huh. it comes up evil, easily, if runner and all comes up, then you're looking at grubworm damage, probably okay. damage that happened last year. So those grubs are gone, but, man, we're seeing the June bugs now. They're out there laying right. eggs, and that's, that's your next crop. <laughs> and uh, I think virtually everybody ought to be putting out beneficial nematodes this year because I've seen so <laughs> many June bugs. But, anyway, if the runners come up at all, um, then it's going to be uh, your, your grubworm damage. If the blade comes up but the runner stays down, that's probably brown patch fungus and it typically shows up when the days are warm when the nights are cool and uh-huh. um, we can treat we treat brown patch with uh, just the whole ground cornmeal i guess you okay. could soak it and spray it if you wanted but uh curative rate is about 10 pounds per 500 square feet of grass the good news is that little patches that are a couple of feet in diameter, St. Augustine grows so vigorously with a little bit of your spring fertilizing, man, that grass right. is going to come back in and cover up those brown areas very, very quickly. There's no need to plant new grass or try to pull out all that okay. old dead stuff for all. But try to determine if it is, uh, if it's grubs or if it's brown patch. If it's a brown patch, Put out some uh, whole ground cornmeal. If it's uh, grub worms, not a lot to do except a little bit of compost and fertilizer. But I would sure be putting out the nematodes to stop the next round of grubs. Okay, and it is coming back, Bob, because I uh, I put out my compost uh, uh, in March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I, coming, I especially with this rain, I doubt you have a whole lot to worry okay. about. Okay, and Bob, uh, one uh, uh, what is it? Um, clover. Yes. Any way to get rid of that stuff? I cut my grass about two and a half to three inches. And well, of course, it's below that. But uh, will the, the the warmer weather? Um, the warmer weather will very definitely slow it down. Clover is really your friend rather than your enemy. Clover okay. is actually telling you that um, uh, that you've got hard soil and clover will grow in soil that is so hard that uh you know your grass just doesn't do as well 
And so I I just keep the clover mowed down and don't worry about it. If you've ever got big patches and you can get out, we normally do it early in the spring before your other grass starts greening up. We'll get out and spray with the vinegar and orange oil, and that really knocks it back. But I... I I just try to use clover as something that's telling me, hey, you better go to work on softening your soil. You're doing the right thing with your compost, and uh, you'll get to the point that that clover just won't ever come around. I remember old Malcolm Beck. He he planted something called Hubam clover. Seed was really expensive, and that stuff grew six feet tall, and Malcolm got dollar signs in his eyes. He just knew (laughs) he was going to make a fortune, you know, selling Hubam clover seed, and uh one of his old friends, I think it was Sam Cotner or somebody, told him, said, Malcolm, you'll never have that big a crop again. And sure enough, next spring when it came up, it only got about 18 inches tall because <laughs> it had improved the soil <laughs> to where it uh, okay. it just didn't grow as well. So stop worrying about your clover and uh, take care of those other problems. Okay. All right. Well, uh, as likewise, uh, Bob, I thank you very much again. For saving me. <laughs> well, I don't know if I saved you, but maybe ease, ease your mind a little bit and uh, uh, get your mind on fishing or something a little bit more worthwhile than breaking your back in the yard. <laughs> All right. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You do the same, Harold. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right. It's going to be Raul, Curtis, and Mary in that order. And Raul's first. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are morning, you? Morning, sir. I'm good. How are you this morning? Oh, doing great. You know, just doing my part as a good citizen to stop spreading the virus, you know, to, you know, and uh, all that good stuff that they recommend. Well, and um, if we all do that, hopefully we'll get back to, uh, um, <laughs> I don't know if normal's a word that even exists in today's world, but we'll get back to our typical existence. And uh, <laughs> uh, if everybody's as good a citizen as Raul is, then uh, we'll get there quickly. You know, plus I want to thank everybody in San Antonio that's doing the same because I have my uh, my mom in a nursing home over there, and so yes. you know, everybody counts, right? And so uh, you know, I want to thank every, everybody that's doing it. Every person, and it's really it's probably things that we should have all been doing all along. You know, I'm a good hand washer, but I'll guarantee you, I use a lot more soap and I wash a lot more vigorously than I used to, and. Uh, you know, just not getting up in people's face. That's Those are habits that we need to just make part of our life from now on. And uh, it's just not that difficult. It just becomes a habit. And once you get used to it, it uh, uh, it's, you know, a little silly. But uh, I, I tell people we've we've modified the old State Farm deal that uh, they, you know, always say like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But we've changed it to uh, like a good neighbor, stay over there. And uh, if we all do that, we'll we'll come out well on the other side. How can I help you today? Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm up in Plano. It's a nice 40 degrees up here right now. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So uh, I've got some uh, Lawn 101 questions, okay? Okay. Um, The first one, so I've got common Bermuda, and it's, you know, full of clover right now, which I I think I got all my information I really needed from your previous caller. Yeah, just um, mow it uh, off. Where it becomes a yeah. problem, just mow it off. That's all you need to do. Okay. And um, then the other thing, um, although you mentioned a, a soil softener. Yes. Uh, what, what, what would you recommend? Does, does Medina have a, a soil softener? 
It, they have a great soil softener. It's called Medina Plus or Medina Soil Activator, but it does not work overnight. It takes uh, quite a while to do it. Your your fastest results will be with compost, will be with humic acids, will be with molasses. But, you know, you're up. The good thing about Plano is you've got that wonderful deep black gumbo and you just need to soften it up make it a little bit more arable and uh molasses medina plus um and and compost on your yard that's going to be the the key to over time turning your soil into a looser loamier soil yeah i guess rain has nothing to do with that then because we've had a lot so far (laughs) well believe it or not see the problem is and years ago i was as guilty as everybody else we thought chemical fertilizers were absolutely great and the problem is that through the use of those things and the people that had your property before you and the people before them they burned all the organic material out of the soil and that's one of the big damaging things that your synthetic fertilizers do and once you lose your organic material rain can actually compact it the more rain you get pounded down on it uh, it actually makes the soil harder instead of softer and uh, the last thing you want to do is mix sand with it. I mean, sand plus clay equals concrete. If you're going to add anything blending it into the soil, you could use uh, lava sand, which is very coarse sand. doesn't set up the way that your finer sands do. You can actually work compost in. But I work from the surface down. Compost on the surface, mulch underneath your shrubs. Over a period of time, you'll find that, you know, that soil just becomes better and better. The problem is the way that we have destroyed our soils. I mean, Mother Nature took several thousand years to build that soil, and we can't be too impatient with it. But given two or three years of very good care, you'll you'll make some good progress. Sounds good. Um, okay, so then um, my next question is: um, Last week, last Wednesday, I sprayed my I mowed it, mowed my lawn, and I sprayed it with some has to grow lawn. Uh huh. And and then that next morning it rained. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, a good a good rain. Did that wash right. off? No, sir. Most of it is still there, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not real big on liquid lawn fertilizers. I mean, I love Medina. Their Hestro lawn is a great product. If you're having a party next week and you want to green things up, best stuff you can use. But I use their growing green fertilizer, and it's going to last you for two, three, four months. Whereas if you're going to go with any liquid, whether it's has to grow lawn or anything else, you're probably going to need to be putting it out at least once a month to get top quality results. So like I say, if you're, if you're looking for instant gratification, you got a party coming up or you just, you got a new yard, you really want to kickstart. Uh, I would use something like has to grow lawn, but I tell you, I always follow it up with that good granular product because it just it actually does more to build the soil and it has a lot more staying power than even the best liquid fertilizer in the world you know that's a good uh i'm glad you said that because uh, the reason i did that is um you know i'm used to the granular that's what i used to really do mm-hmm. yeah and um but you know i was getting ready to go to home depot but they sell it there or no Lowe's or one of those stores anyway yeah. um and and I looked up and I saw a brand new bottle of the has to grow lawn. And right. So I thought, oh, you know, rather than make a trip, uh, you know, I'll I'll just use it, use this <laughs> up for the next three or four months. Well, you know? <laughs> it's 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 great stuff. 
Um, but you just have to understand you're going to have to use it more often. And boy, don't, uh, don't put it on anything except your grass. I accidentally grabbed the wrong bottle and sprayed some tomato plants with it. Uh, let's just say that was a big mistake. But on the grass, it's, it's just, it's just extra strong. It's, uh, it's got more nitrogen in it. It's got faster release, uh, material. And it's, it's still all natural material, but, uh, uh, like I say, it's it's good stuff, but you're just going to have to use it a whole lot more often. And I don't feel like it builds the soil the way that all the humates and everything that uh, uh, the Medina's granular products is actually fully organic. They call growing green. That's still my basic go-to. Right. But yeah, if I want to kickstart it, I has to grow lots of good product. If I mix in my, I also have a big big old jug of uh, uh, Garrett Plus, Garrett Juice Plus. Yeah, Garrett, great stuff. Okay. Do you think that'll help with the the additional humate stuff and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The thing, even though we can't see them, the thing that does more to build organic material in the soil than anything else out there are the soil bacteria. Uh, There are billions or trillions of them out there, and products like Garrett Juice, products like Medina Plus, products like molasses and compost tea, all of those things kind of kick your microbes into high gear. And long term, that's what both builds organic material and builds what we call soil structure. The microbes actually create sort of a it's a glue-like material, but a very open glue that that kind of moves the little clay particles apart. Uh, uh, it's technically called sticky substance. But all of this stuff is what works together to soften your soil and improve it over time. Okay, last question on the lawn. Um, I had a coworker mention, you know, you don't want to fertilize when the low temperature isn't over sixty yet. You're just going to feed the winter weeds if you do that. Is that is well, there any truth to that? Your your coworkers still using that old synthetic chemical stuff. The organic fertilizers are processed by microbes. We can put them out, your Texas tea or grow green, whatever you choose to use. You put those out 365 days a year, and they benefit. Uh, the weeds are going to get a little bit out of it, of course, but uh, it does more to slowly feed the roots of your grass even when it's dormant. So, uh, no, we use we use quality organic products 365 days a year uh, because it takes a little while for the plants to process those nutrients so to speak and if we don't put it out till it gets warm you know you're missing out your plants need to have that fertilizer working in the soil so that when they start growing uh, they have everything they need otherwise you're just you're kind of behind the curve as they would say okay and and the the liquid won't the organic liquid stuff won't kind of catch you up a little bit it'll help but it it you know it still takes time Gotcha. Okay. I hear you. Okay. Um, sorry, one last question. Um, last year, I dug up some, my, I gave away my daffodil bulbs uh-huh. from my front yard and uh, lawn, and uh, I noticed some were still there. <laughs> <laughs> Always uh, going to be that way. Yeah. Um, is it is it too early to dig them back up and give them away? Will, will, if will be more if they've sprouted, if they've sprouted, you need to let them go through their growth cycle and rebuild the bulb. If they haven't sprouted yet, Dig them up and share with your friends. And Curtis is up next. Uh, good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Morning, sir. Well, as of last night, we had an inch and a half, and this morning it, it's continuing to rain, so it's looking beautiful. Oh, man. That's uh, that's such good news to hear. We need it so badly. 
I've got the most beautiful tomato plants I've ever had. And, and I know in the past you've talked about the hornworms. How do I prevent them? Remind me, how you, what do I need to do to prevent the worms? Hornworms are pretty easy. Uh, I use just liquid BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. And uh, if you mix a little bit of molasses with it, I find that on my plants, I only have to spray once in the entire season. Uh, but I guess it's partly because I go back, I spray with liquid seaweed and molasses on a semi-regular basis. But um, uh, hornworms, uh, you, know, you never have a lot of them, but boy, one hornworm can eat a lot of plant mm-hmm. and a lot of fruit. <laughs> Sounds like you've had a, you've had some experience there, yes. but the BT stops yes. them in their tracks, and it's totally safe for us. We just don't ever spray anything except the tomato plants because it's uh, non-selective. It pretty much kills a lot of caterpillars, and I don't want to interfere with the monarchs and some of those good guys, but I don't want mm-hmm. to sacrifice my tomato plants to the hornworm. So yeah, little BT with little molasses in it. You won't have anything to worry about. Mine are in raised beds. How how often and what type of fertilizer would you recommend? What I do, and I would do it whether it's in the ground or in the raised beds, at the time I plant, I kind of work a little bit of a just a good granular fertilizer in, and of course I put the rock phosphate in the bottom of the hole, and I figure that that's going to give me sort of always a background nutrient supply, but once things are up and growing, I try to feed about every two weeks with the liquid fertilizer. Um, has to grow, or like say there's some liquid fox farm products, or I love Medina's new uh, one they call their fish blend. So I always always work some dry in before I start, before I plant my tomato plants, but then I'll follow it up, try to follow it up every couple of weeks with a little liquid fertilizer. And uh, yeah, I was uh, so glad we didn't get the hail they were talking about last mm-hmm. night because my my plants are already waist high and they've only been to the ground about three weeks. Yeah, mine are too. They're they're it's, gorgeous. Now, it's now a, to grow. Does it does it go on the foliage or on the ground? No, on the ground. Um, Yeah, in certain situations, it's a great foliar feed. But here's my reasoning, and and I got this from a friend that worked for USDA a lot of years ago, and we were actually talking about orchids, but we were comparing companies that do foliar feeding only and companies that, you know, actually fed the, the growing medium. Where you feed the growing medium, you get a real strong root system, and that's the key to getting plants uh, to grow well in Texas. Where you foliar feed, the plant has no reason to grow a root system. It's getting everything it needs through its leaves, and so it develops a, just a real crappy root system, and it's much more susceptible to problems. It doesn't stand up as well to the heat. So... I tend to spray the foliage with things like seaweed and molasses that do a number of things. But my major fertilizing always goes on the soil. Okay. That makes sense. I just want you to know yes, want you to know why instead of just what to do, but always why to yeah, do it. It makes it makes good sense. Thank you. My pleasure, Curtis. Thank you so much for the call this morning. Mm-hmm. Bye. All right. Mary is up next and then it's gonna be John and Don. Uh good morning, Mary. Good morning. Uh, I was saving vegetable scraps to put out in my compost pile, and I kind of overlooked them, kept them too long. And then I've got these funny little winged uh, things that fly around, and I guess it came from the, the uh, vegetable scraps. I don't know how to get rid of them. Do, <laughs> do you have any idea? Well, number one, don't worry about them. They're basically they're either some kind of gnat or some kind of fruit fly. And um, if you wanted to spray some spinosad, 
that would do it and that really wouldn't hurt anything. But uh, unless they're a terrible nuisance, I would just ignore them. But uh, uh, what I would do, so this is these are things that just added to the top of the compost pile? I Yes. I guess that's where they came from. Otherwise, I would have would have never had something like this. Okay. Well, if uh, the the simplest thing you could do would just be to simply cover them up with some of the finished compost, or just to get a bag of good compost and just uh, you know dump an inch of it on top of your vegetable scraps, and that should totally get rid of uh, totally no, get rid I'm of the the gnats. That, that I didn't realize it until they're flying here in the kitchen, and I swat every one that I see, and they land on the the ceiling and the wall, little tiny little things. Uh, I squash well, everything I can, but I don't know how to get rid of all of those bugs if there's some way to attract them. Um, you know, something like a piece of almost any kind of overripe fruit will do it. But let me tell you where they may be coming from, because there is a different little very similar creature but with a disgusting name that's called a sewer gnat and where they come from are out of the sink out of the drains in your you know in your basins your tub things like that there's a little you have to have a little thing underneath uh anywhere you have water going into the sewer system so to speak Uh we have what's called a p-trap and it's a little u-shaped thing that stays full of water and this keeps the gases from the sewer from coming back into your home but the problem is that a lot of things anything from mosquitoes these little gnats uh live and breed in that little u-shaped thing that's always full of water and that may be what you're seeing and those are super easy to get rid of uh get a bottle of medina's orange oil i know there are other orange oils most of them are, are much more expensive than medina's but when you finish doing the sink uh after you wash your hands when you finish taking a shower Put just uh, like a half a teaspoon down the drain, and it will kill those things almost instantly. Now, the adults that are out flying around, they'll live for a couple of days, and then they're dead. They have a very short lifespan, but uh, they keep on coming out. But, boy, that orange oil, it'll it'll make everything smell really good, and it just instantly kills anything that's living and breeding down there in the pea trap. Okay, because they have little tiny, I didn't know they had little wings, but when they... Yeah fly or land i can see them when i squash them there's really nothing left it's just a very very thin powdery uh yeah those may very well be sewer gnats and you can take care of those with a little bit of orange oil very quickly and easily okay thank you i've got another one um i've got some damage in in a the back room in the ceiling Uh and i guess it's uh and i think from the attic and then just recently, I saw a couple of ants. Now, this is something that happened a long time ago, and it it wasn't taken care of. I'm wondering if they are uh, wood ants. Is there anything uh, that I can do for wood ants myself that's not real poisonous? Well, the, you know, believe it or not, that same orange oil that we were talking about uh, for killing the sewer gnats, uh, you uh-huh. mix that with water probably a little bit stronger, let's say maybe four ounces to the gallon or, you know, about oh, a couple of tablespoons in a quart of water. Spray uh-huh. it anywhere that you have seen those ants, and it will do a pretty good job of killing them. I had a, a good friend a couple of years ago. She was telling me she had the wood ants, and she had wooden shutters on the outside of the home she lived in at the time, and I told her to spray with uh, with the orange oil and water in that area, 
And another mutual friend that's a builder told her, oh, no, you better get a pesticide company out there. The pest control the company came out. They took the shutters off, and they said, lady, I don't know what you've done, but you've killed all the ants. You don't need us. So little orange oil and water should take care of your uh, wood ants uh, with no problem at all. Just spray anywhere you see them. may take two or three sprays, but it will get rid of them, and it's totally safe for you. You know, I always wear eye protection anytime I'm spraying as well as using a saw or anything like that. I, I don't think you'd really want to get it in your eyes, but uh, it's uh, it's a very safe product, smells very good, and it's very effective in controlling lots of insects. Okay, let me ask you something. I've only seen like maybe two or three. Uh, when I had a roof put on, I don't know, two, three years ago, I had some damaged wood up there, and I got to thinking uh, maybe I have maybe I have wood ants up there, so if I've got damage up in the attic, uh, just have someone get up there with the orange oil and water and, and try to get rid of them as much if as you can if you can do that i i have very rarely ever seen enough damage from wood ants to really worry about termites are another story termites if you get termites you've got to get them under control but um wood ants i think a good inspection is a, a very good idea but um rarely rarely do they become a major problem if they are to the point that they are really causing a lot of damage i would call one of the pesticide companies that uses organic programs i know uh, okay. apple has an organic program i know abc does but um i, I can promise you they're going to come out and whether they finance or not they're going to try to sell you on some sort of maintenance plan that you probably don't need but um i i would get somebody to get up take a you know somebody that can really look and do a very thorough inspection and like I say if it's minor damage use your orange oil and water if it's a uh, major damage call one of the uh, pest control companies that does things organically i think it's going to be major uh i have a tile walls in the in the shower and i recently saw some little powder coming out at the bottom behind the pile tile walls so uh, that that's going to be termites yep that's going to be termites, not wood ants. And uh, there are safe things. There's uh, something we call you Centricon. Is uh, it's a baiting system. Uh, you don't have to go with real toxic chemicals to kill uh, termites. But if you've got that much damage, yeah, you need to get a, a pest control company out there. Like, like say, like ABC or like Apple, tell them you only their what they call their chem-free or organic division, and uh, let them take yeah, let them take care of it for you. Definitely. Thank you so much, Bob. Sure enjoy your program. Thank you. Well, Bye. it's always my pleasure, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. Bye. All right, let's get back to gardening. It is going to be Jane and Don and Barbara and Kit, and Jane is up first. Good morning, Jane. Hello, Bob. I have Good morning. a question regarding no-low bait on okay. the surface. I know you say before, okay, to apply and it get rain on. I go out yesterday. I have been applying early, as you say. I go out yesterday. Them little, those rascal grasshoppers eating my snow peas. Uh -huh. May I apply again? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would probably wait about three or four days because they're giving us a pretty strong chance of possibly some heavy rains for uh, the next four or five days. As soon as it dries out a little bit, when we're going to have, say, 48 hours without rain, I would sure put out the no-low again. This, this is going to be, unfortunately, a very bad year for lots of different bugs because we just didn't have a lot of winter 
And, um, yeah, grasshoppers, I'm afraid, may be bad. So be no harm at all in putting out a second batch of the NOLA bait as soon as it dries out just a little bit. Okay, next question. You tell me some time ago the way to control small hackberry and seedle elm in, in cool weather. Now, they are coming up, and some have already been accidentally cut before we do the, uh, how you say, girdle. So Girdling, yes, uh-huh. What I, do, what I do now with the small, less than one-quarter inch diameter of these hard plant. Uh, it's, you know, they are a real pain. Uh, as a matter of fact, I spent about two hours the after afternoon cutting off the blasted things in some of my flower beds. When they are that size, when they're not big enough to girdle, but they're too, they are too big to just pull up roots and all, I just try to cut them off, to, if I can, two or three inches below ground level. And some of them it kills, some of them will come back out. But uh, all I know to do is just cut those things off as low to the ground as you can. Uh, If it's out in the open, I'll take a grubbing hoe, and I'll go down six inches and chop them at that point, and they rarely come back. Uh, The ones that are closer to the surface, sometimes they die out, sometimes they don't. Uh, it's, It's not something you can do if you've got a huge number of them. But one other thing that I have done is kind of dig around the blasted little things if they're, if they're, you know, fairly good size. And I'll take something like a soup can or, you know, a can that you get peaches or whatever in. I'll cut it off at ground level and then I'll sort of sink that can down around it. So when it tries to sprout out, it doesn't have anywhere to go. And sometimes that will kill them. But, uh, I, there's no easy answer for that in between side. This is the big ones we girdle, the little ones we pull up. The others, sometimes we have to cut them three or four times before we finally kill the blasted things. Okay. Number three, citrus pruning. I have a little lime tree giveaway in the large pot container. Uh-huh. Is, right. Is it time? When is it time to prune this back so it is growing maybe six feet tall? But, do you know, it has millions and millions of blooms, lots of little babies. <laughs> well... Them. That big one. Yeah, there. you don't have to prune citrus. The only reason to prune it is if it's going to get too big for you. So um, you, you absolutely do not have to prune your citrus. You just let it grow, make a big bush. If it's getting too tall, this is the time of year to do it. If you have a choice, you always cut off the limbs that have the fewest flowers leave the limbs that have the most. But that's the only thing that you're accomplishing, Jane, is just to limit the size, and it you don't have to prune them to keep them healthy. Peaches and plums, yeah, we have to prune them every year to maintain vigor, but citrus, we're just pruning as a convenience, and you don't have to prune them at all. Excellent. Guy, this exact answer I want you here. <laughs> well, final question. I have access to one little snowdrop. Are you familiar with snowdrop as little yes. bulb that bloom? When yeah, it's the a... best time. Best time to dig the them after they finish the bloom. 
Well, um, the proper name of Snowdrop is Leucochum. They're a beautiful little bulb uh, that blooms in the spring. What you need to do if you want to move them, go ahead and let them make their foliage. They look kind of like a, you know, a, a narcissus or something, but let them make their foliage, let them grow vigorously, fertilize them, take good care of them. And then in the summer months, those leaves will start to die back. And that's the time to dig them, divide them, replant them, give them away, whatever you want to do. But at this point, enjoy the flowers, but then give them a little time to grow some and restore that nutrient back in the bulb. Then when the foliage starts to die off this summer, that's the time to dig them and do other things with them. Okay, about how deep you think we must dig? About six inches. Okay. And then we take them out of ground, then do we put them in bag? How do we store? If you want to store them, I would get, uh, we used to use rice holes, but nowadays probably dry perlite, P-E-R-L-I-T. Perlite is the best thing to store the bulbs in, just keep them in a cool, dry place. Or you can go ahead and pot them up into containers. They're not really going to grow much, but uh, if you want to replant them somewhere or put some of them into pots, you can do that. Just don't keep them too wet. But if you want to keep them as a dry bulb, I would pack them in perlite, keep them cool and dry, and then replant them in the fall. Okay, but we could, after dig up, could plant right away in our Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. I thank you very much for your assistance. Have a very good day. You do the same, Jane. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. We are back to gardening. We are going to talk to Don and Barbara and Kit. And we start with Don. Good morning, Don. I have an Italian cypress that has the top. It's about eight feet tall, eight to nine tall. The top three feet has gone totally dead. It's mm-hmm. brown gold. Yep. If I cut it out at that point, would that be, I, I'm assuming that's a wise thing to do? Well, much as I hate to say it, the wisest thing to do is not plant Italian cypress. They are just, I mean, they're happy in Tuscany. They are not happy in South Texas. And, you know, usually they get a little taller than that before they start having problems. But they are very susceptible to um, several different diseases. They're very susceptible to spider mites. So when the top of them dies, yeah, it's you might as well cut it off because it's, you know, that dead tissue is not going to come back to life. It will resume its upward growth, but it's going to lose some of that beautiful, shapely reason that we grow the Italian cypress. Um, to maintain it, I think it's really important that especially through the summer months, spray it with liquid seaweed every couple of weeks, keep it well mulched, keep it uh, properly watered. And um, they're just, if you're, if you're, you know, if just if you've been to Tuscany or places in Italy or even some other places in this country and just see how beautiful they are and just want to try growing them, um, you can certainly do that. If you're looking for just a good upright plant, uh, some of the new Yopon Hollies, the Will Fleming, the uh, Scarlet's Peak, there are some other upright, very upright shrubs that are always going to be preferable. I just, much as I hate to say it, uh, uh, that particular plant, the Italian cypress, is just really problem prone in this area. Okay, now the irony of this particular 
plant is it has two trunks that started at about eight inches off the ground okay. and have grown parallel to each other. Okay. The taller one is the one that has the damage in it, and I'm thinking of just cutting it off at the Y, <laughs> and uh, I'll still have a, a nice uh, pointed top growing up. Yeah, do it, do it, uh, do it today. That that's a great solution. But get in a habit of that seaweed spray and just baby these things along. Again, if you lived in Oh, Montepulciano or one of those beautiful towns in Italy, you can just plant them and they take care of themselves. But in South Texas, if you really want to grow an Italian cypress, you're really going to have to work at it. Okay. Uh, I have a 25-foot tall um, Monterey oak. Okay. And it is dropping leaves, not heavily, but I'll, I'll walk out this morning and it'll have probably... 50 or 60 leaves dropped on the ground around it. What's causing that? It's the time of year. Okay. Uh, Monterey oaks, even though they are semi-evergreen, they, they keep their leaves in a mild winter like this. They yeah. are exactly like the live oaks. They drop those leaves as they start to put on their new growth, and uh, it's a perfectly normal thing. I think if you look carefully, you'll see a lot of new leaves coming out right behind them. But oh, well, uh, I've got, it, it's, fully, it's fully new leaf right yeah. now. Uh, yeah, no. Third thing, I have a tomato bed. I've got uh-huh. uh, about a dozen tomatoes growing in it. Very when good. I cut my grass, can I put the uh, grass cuttings uh, on the bed as a ground cover? And will that cause anything, or will that will that harm it in any way for insects? Won't harm it for insects in any way. But here's the problem. As you well know, there are a bunch of fungal diseases that start on the foliage tomatoes down at the bottom and work their way up. And the way those things get started is when the rain beats down or when you're watering and you've got a source of fungal material on the ground, it's splashing stuff up onto your tomato plants. And uh, I, I would worry a bit about disease. I would not worry about insects. I would much rather see you put those clippings into a compost pile, let them grow through the initial stage of uh, decomposition, and then put them around your plants as a mulch. I think... Um, I mean, it's great. Those grass clippings make great mulch. If you find it necessary to pick them up, I just leave them down and let them build the soil. But uh, if you want to use them around your vegetable garden, pile them, let them rot for six weeks or so, and then use them. That way you'll avoid some potential problems. Okay, so your seaweed spray, That's uh, what was your formula again on the seaweed spray? Well, on seaweed, I like a mixture of seaweed and molasses, about two tablespoons of seaweed, one tablespoon of molasses per gallon of water. That stops spider mites in their tracks, provides a lot of micronutrients to your tomato plants, but it doesn't do anything about the fungal problems. If you've got fungus issues, uh, if they start, soak some whole ground cornmeal in water and spray that. But your seaweed molasses, man, that just gives you the prettiest plants, staves off the spider mites, and gives you even better flavor. We're doing something that is called raising the bricks. It's B-R-I-X, which is a measure of sugar content in the sap of plants. The higher we get the bricks up, the better the fruit is and the more resistant they are to problems. And that's what your seaweed molasses does. Do it every couple of weeks if you can. Okay, that formula you just gave me is good for my Italian cypress also? It's good for everything that grows in your yard and in your garden. Okay, and beneficial nematodes. 
Um, put them down now. You know, most years with beneficial nematodes, I'm reactive instead of proactive on most things. And if you don't have grubs, if you don't have fleas, once we get beyond tick season, there's not a lot of reason to put them down. But I tell you, with the mild winter, I have seen more June bugs than I have seen in years. I'm seeing more fleas earlier than I've ever seen. So this is probably a year I'm going to tell you, go ahead and put down your beneficial nematodes. Normally, I don't do it unless we, unless I'm convinced we need them. But this year, I think it would probably be a good idea. I put down a load of nematodes every year. Just for always, principles. <laughs> and I'll bet you've got a beautiful yard and uh, and not many problems. Well, I've got cats and dogs around the house, and that's what I want to help. Absolutely. Yes, sir. That's the thing to do. If you develop a flea issue, of course, remember that you need to treat all things. You need to treat the pets, the house, and the yard uh, simultaneously to totally eliminate them. And, boy, the nematodes are sure the best flea killers we've got out in the yard. Okay. Thank you very much. You ask excellent questions, Don. It's always good to hear from you. Thank you for Thank the call you. this morning. Bye. Certainly. Goodbye. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. We've got Barbara and Kit and Don, and that should probably be about the right number of people to take us up to the top of the hour when we get to visit with Howard Garrett. So uh, back to the phones, and Barbara is up first. Good morning, Barbara. Hi, I got two questions. Uh, one is, is the taller your grass gets, don't the roots go deeper, and don't they put out sugars and soften your soil also? Well, yes, um, roots tend to do that. I don't know that I would always say the taller the grass, the deeper the roots. Uh, um, I would say that grasses that natively have taller foliages, some of our what we call our uh, prairie tall grasses and things like that, they are very deeply rooted. But for lawn grasses... Uh, Letting them grow taller actually makes them a little bit more drought tolerant. But on Bermuda, St. Augustine, that kind of grass, no, I don't think that it's really going to give you a, a deeper root system uh, just because you let the tops grow taller. Now, some of your native grasses, uh, little blue stem, big blue stem, uh, curly mesquite, things like that, where these grasses that are naturally taller, they naturally have deeper root systems. And, yes, it is true, the roots... Uh, bleed out carbohydrates through the root system, uh, which do work to soften the soil, but probably the most important thing they do is support the microbes which grow on the roots. Now they're, you know, in healthy plants, healthy soils, you have more than one layer of, uh, uh, bacteria on there, and then we have this wonderful fungus we call mycorrhizal fungus which uh that's its only source of uh nutrition so to speak so yes it's very very important that uh, all of your plants roots but especially the grasses bleed out that carbohydrate into the soil but i um th the problem is if you let your grass get too tall you're shading out the lower portion of it so you're losing the benefits you're not really getting that much more carbohydrate produced and then when you do have to mow it it looks a little bad until it really starts putting on new growth so i i wouldn't overdo it on letting your grass get tall thinking it's helping the roots it it reduces the water use but beyond a certain point uh you get really no benefit from it wow thanks a lot um i'm going to throw this in real quick uh google gabe brown uh uh Farming is an ecosystem that will blow your mind away. But I got a question about almonds. Okay. 
Can you grow them here? Here's the thing about almonds. Almonds bloom early, and most years they're going to freeze. You know, the almond is actually the pit, the seed out of a little, oh, it's kind of like a little mini peach. Uh, but uh, almonds are absolutely gorgeous when they're in flower, but most years they're going to they're gonna bloom early and then freeze back, and you're not going to get any almond production. Plus, they use a lot of water. So uh, it's fun to plant them, but uh, <laughs> you're still going to be heading for natural grocers to get your good almonds to eat. It's just uh, most years you're, the, you're, you're not going to get the fruit and the almonds produced, but the plants actually grow reasonably well, and uh, they are absolutely beautiful with the blooms they produce in the spring. Thanks for the info. Um, my fig, am I going to have to wave a chainsaw at it? It's doing okay. Um, it's, you know, first year. Uh-huh. So I'm worried that it's not got full, full sun. Mm-hmm. Will it produce black mission? Well, it, it will grow very well for you. The more sun, the more figs it will produce. You won't get as many figs produced in the shade, but uh, uh, it's going to make a beautiful plant, but uh, there's... Uh, waving a chainsaw at things always seems to help a little bit, but, but there's no, no replacement for the sun. If you can use that chainsaw to do a little trimming on the trees to get more sunlight to your fig, that's going to be what's going to help you get uh, more figs than anything else. But uh, I understand that you have to be kind of mean to your fig once it gets up a little age or it won't bury <laughs> I don't know. My figs, if, they, if I'm mean to them at all, it's just that I don't water them enough. But uh, a fig is, for somebody that thinks they can't grow fruit, they just haven't tried growing a fig because the usual problem with figs is just figuring out what you're going to do with all of them. So uh, is uh, they, they're shallow-rooted. They love a mulch. They love regular watering. But uh, they'll probably be the easiest fruit tree you've ever grown. And I won't get that uh, bug that burrows into them on a black mission. Well, you could. The only two that are really totally resistant to that are Alma and Celeste. And that's because they form a little drop of rosin. But I tell you, most people don't have to deal with that little fruit weevil. But uh, Black Mission could get it, but in an organic garden, we we don't see it very often. We're organic. Okay. Hey, thank you so much. Can't tell you Always. how much I appreciate your show. I appreciate your listen, Barbara. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Bye. All right. Uh, next up is Kit. Good morning, Kit. Good morning, Bob. It's a great day to be alive. It is a great day to be alive, and in South Texas, and I was just looking at uh, where my friends are up in Wyoming, and it was uh, 30 degrees this morning, so yeah, it's, of course, I can't say too much, because it was freezing in the panhandle yesterday with this crazy Texas weather, but uh, I just think we're in the best part of the world we could be in, and like you say, good good to be above the ground. Yes, sir. Hey, I got a few questions for you this morning. Um my potato plants are just absolutely going nuts as far as the greenage coming up, uh-huh. uh, but I've never done potatoes before, so I heard last week you said, you know, you can mound, but you don't need to mound, um, but when do you know the potatoes are ready? Well, the potatoes are ready when you want to dig and enjoy them. A potato does not ripen, per se. Okay. And a little potato, we tend to call them new potatoes, is just as tasty as a big potato. And your potatoes will be full-sized when the top of the plant starts to die back. And that's typically going to be early summer, usually June. But you do not have to 
wait that long, and you do not have to sacrifice uh, the plant. You will find that you can take your finger and just start probing around in the soil at the base of the plant, and you'll actually feel the little tubers. That's the thing about your red skin and white skin potatoes as opposed to sweet potatoes. But your regular potatoes, um, they form their potatoes right at the base of the plant. And so periodically go out and just kind of probe around uh, at the base of the plant. And if you want to at any point, you'll find little golf ball-sized potatoes that you can pop out, and they'll be the most delicious things you ever ate. Almost makes me salivate just thinking about new potatoes with pepper and, you know, a big old slab of butter on top of them. Yeah, it just doesn't get much better than that. But if you want the maximum number of bigger potatoes, you know, don't take off too many of the little ones. But, man, I'm, I'm all for harvesting for a period of weeks, and then when the stop tar- top starts to die back in the summer, then you simply take your spading fork, turn them over, and you'll have three to five bigger potatoes right at the base. But, man, you can, anytime after your plants have been in six or eight weeks, then chances are you can go ahead and start harvesting some new potatoes to enjoy. Okay, and then I've been watering about once a week with those. I kind of, I, don't know, I haven't watered this week because of all the rain we've gotten, but um i just put my finger in about knuckle deep if it's dry i water is that good for the potato plants that's perfect for the potatoes and just remember when you water water real thoroughly but don't water again until it's dry that that knuckle deep yep all right um question number two i've actually ventured into uh, pretty flower plants this year and the potting soil i have seems to be getting really hard so i was wondering if i could put soil activator in the flower plant oh absolutely Absolutely. Add add a little bit of extra molasses to it as well. And uh, if you're using a good liquid organic like has to grow or their new liquid fish, yeah, keep that up. But if you want to add a little soil activator, a little extra molasses, you're not going to hurt a thing. Okay. All right. Um, And then shrimp tails, or the I think they're called shrimp tails. Um, Shrimp shrimp plant. Shrimp plant. There you go. Okay. can you transplant those or take a cutting from those and and grow from that? Yes and yes. Okay. You can't really divide them very well, but if you want to dig them and move them from place to place, they're very easy to do. And this is certainly, you need to do it pretty soon. You don't want to wait until summertime to do it. But uh, if you use mature wood, not the real soft stuff that's coming out right now, but if you use a mature wood, shrimp plant uh, will root in perlite very easily. Okay. And it's great because I just got a new bag of perlite. All right. And then my last question, um, my grandpa had, they, they're like one by one inch, and I thought they were um, like charcoal sticks. They're about two and a half, maybe three foot long. But my okay. aunt thinks that they are um, sticks you put for like vines to grow up. Do that's you, more likely. That's more likely? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because he's got, I don't know, almost like a bucket full of them, and I was trying to figure yeah. out what they were. So Yeah, they were they were almost certainly just steaks. Uh, okay. Most things, I mean, I stake some of my peppers. Most things, we've gone to growing them in cages rather than actually staking them. But uh, uh, you can still, and there's a new, relatively new material you can use to tie them up, and it's actually a Velcro tape. It's kind of like the old plastic tape, but you just cut it and just push it together instead of having to tie it. And, uh, Kit, I appreciate the call. Let me move on to Don so we can get him in before the visit with the Dirt Doctor. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. What time of the year do I plant melons and cantaloupes? Today. 
today. <laughs> yeah, you you can start as soon as the danger of freezing weather is passed on, and really the sooner the better. I'm um, uh, usually early April is just perfect. Sometimes uh, we start, you know, middle of March. Sometimes we get frozen out and have to start over. But you need to get them going pretty quickly. What about okra? Okra, the soil needs to be hot. I don't normally plant my okra until early to mid-May. Okay. And for that fresh cab or cab, they call it, for the mice? Right. Uh-huh. I actually found a place in the vine called Parker's that sells that stuff. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, anybody's looking for it, it's in the vine. They're very good. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And now I've not had any luck at all against rats, but against mice, fresh cab is wonderful. Well, that's why they make cats. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> well, yeah, and the cats will tend to mean fewer rattlesnakes, so it's the best way to go. I, I've got a barred cat as well as my wonderful indoor kitty, so I know what you're speaking of. All righty. You have a great day, Bob. You do the same, sir. Always appreciate the call, Don. Good to talk to you. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome to the microphone and line number 11, the Nerd Doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett. Good morning, Howard. How are you today? You still broadcasting from the uh, shades of green out there? I tell you what, I'm looking out the window at fountains. I'm looking at uh, oh, all kinds of things in bloom out here. It's uh, it's kind of a uh, no rain right now, but it's very overcast morning. But let me tell you, this is a much better view than I have from the radio station. So, uh, well, they may have screwed uh, up. They may have a hard time getting you back in there. <laughs> <laughs> I make I may claim this little tie line machine as my own and uh just keep on doing it. But no, we're we're still uh we're still working remotely and um you know, I I'm getting much more comfortable with it. I'll have to say that first time or two I was I was a little nervous because it's a little bit different setup than I've used on a remote broadcast yeah, yeah. and uh I've got somebody I can call uh and thank you for being there, <laughs> Greg. You know, I'm speaking to, but no, it's uh, getting real comfortable with the machinery, and uh, it's just a lot of fun being able to broadcast from here. What about you? Are you still going to the studio, or how are things in Dallas? Yeah, but uh, Mary Rose, who does, uh, you know, running the board for me while I'm down there, has given me the name of somebody that did a, a, a little simple thing at her house, and it's not even very expensive these days. I, I've been meaning to do it for years and just haven't, and hope maybe we'll get around to doing it here pretty pretty quick. They're they're being careful at Salem to clean everything really well after sure. each broadcast and all that kind of thing. But it's still it's still you know just a thirty minute drive over there for me for one thing. So it'd be good to have have a broadcast situation here like you got there, or and, a little and- more permanent than that. Yeah, and and you can do, I'm sure, what we do, and uh, that is, I've got my got my cell phone here, and Chris just texts me the phone calls, and I keep a running lister of who's on the different phone lines, and uh, we can always talk back and forth if we need to. But it's convenient, and uh, and some of these some of these talk show hosts, they just shall we say take things a little bit too seriously, and if the slightest little problem occurs, it. Um, it's very upsetting, but I always tell people nobody's going to live or die based on what we do. And if we have a little glitch here or there, that's just part of live radio. And, uh, we just, we just deal with it and move on. So it's it, just like you, you know, it's a lot of fun what we do. And I'm just, uh, feel very, very blessed and privileged to go on doing it. And these, uh, kind of, 
kind of troubled times. How is the COVID situation in Dallas? We we don't hear a lot about other places, and I just despise the national news media. I heard this week that they were showing pictures of hospitals in Italy and saying that they were in New York and to some extent blowing things a little out of proportion, but I know we all need to take it seriously. Do y'all y'all have serious issues? Is it still expanding, or, or does it seem to level off? Well, it's it's uh, kind of the same. It's changing a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit more about it. But back to that, your previous point, just real quick. One thing uh, that's happening that uh, I had picked up on, and some of the other people that I listen to on Periscopes and various places picked up on it too and that is that the whole broadcast whole way of broadcasting on television has changed tremendously you may you may have noticed that a lot of the national uh, news people are broadcasting on Skype and out of their homes and everything else and the tech and the uh, quality has fallen off hugely and, and some of the people that I listen to think that it's actually going to make a permanent change in it about how that's done and for it to be kind of a lower, more casual kind of connection with people. One of the things that can be done on a remote broadcast like we were talking about there earlier is you can have a have the callers come up on your computer just like you're in the mm-hmm. radio station. So it's, right. there's really a whole lot changing. As far as um, what's going on here in Dallas, uh, there was an article that ran in the paper last week about people playing golf out on the public courses that were still open over uh-huh. in Grand Prairie and uh, uh, Arlington primarily, maybe in Fort Worth some too. And as a result of that, the club I play at and some of the other clubs in town are opening back up next week. There's oh, already really? Yeah, there's already been some conversation. Doug's kids went to Ursuline, and, and there's already conversation about some of the private schools opening back up maybe as early as next week wow so there's starting to be some movement that's kind of uh kind of interesting and, and exciting it you know there's still more cases there's a debate now about it leveling off and 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 you know ended up being okay to go back out even though they're, st- they're talking about everybody maybe starting to wear a mask. I've already designed a mask for myself. It's pretty cool. I'll send you a picture of it. It's an American flag with Velcro on it, so it's, <laughs> it's a bandana, and it's pretty cool. I may go in the business of selling them. I was just going to say, that sounds like a, a banner item for DirtDoctor.com. And, uh, uh, no, that's a neat idea. That's a neat idea, and, and and it's such a good point. Uh, I had a caller early this morning saying, "Where can I get mask?" And this is a fellow from a rural area, and I said, "Don't you still have an old good old cowboy bandana?" Because I think that's probably about as effective as most of the masks are these days. Well, you can get the you know real simple little Velcro things at the hobby shops and whatnot, and I tried to just stick it on with that, but it doesn't hold well enough, so I just uh. put a little dab of uh, Gorilla Glue under it and put the, <laughs> put the Velcro on both sides, and it works like a charm. Oh, I'll bet it does. I'll bet it does. Well, I was thinking, uh, too, that one thing, if you haven't already done so, we need to do a big re push again i guess we should say the benefits of your online course uh you know on organics and becoming certified organic because so many people are at home so many people have time on their hands and they're looking for something to do and i just can't think of a much better way to spend a few hours than uh 
than subscribing and, and getting the online course. And you get your certification out of it, but most importantly, what an opportunity to learn all of the basics of organics because that's such a good course to begin with. And right now, so many people out there bored looking for something to do. I think we need to start talking that up uh, even more than we have because I think it's it's a, a good thing for people to be doing for a lot of different reasons right now. Yeah, we mention it on a regular basis, but we need to make it the feature of a newsletter and send it out. We just did uh, made a feature of the one that's going out right now uh, on uh, fire ant control because fire ants have, have kind of exploded after all this incredible amount of rain that we've had around here. I don't know if y'all are seeing the same thing, but I did a video on uh, controlling fire ants some time ago that started with, you know, put out driving glasses and they'll take care mm-hmm. of most problems and then use the Garrett juice with uh, two ounces of orange oil in it if you need to drench some mounds. And I showed people how to drench a mound properly. A lot of people don't know how to do that properly. They just kind of sprinkle it all over the mound, and that doesn't uh-huh. work very well. They're able right. to get away from that. You've got to use a, a, a some kind of a... I've got a watering can, but uh, one of the radiator filler cans, any of those, so that a, a solid stream of liquid comes out of the uh, can, and you right. put it in one spot right in the middle of the mound, and it breaks through the crust and goes straight down that way and can get the queen before they have time to, or queens, before they have time to move them around. And, and then you swirl it around all over the mound. Well, I think that's a good plan, and I was just about to say, because that's what we're seeing more of down here. They call them super mounds that they say can have 10 or 12 queens and over yeah, a million yeah, ants yeah. in the mound, and uh, and you've really got it, – it takes a good quantity. Uh, I use a watering can. It's about a two-gallon watering can, and I take yep. the rows off so that, uh, yeah, that's what, you know. that's what I'm talking about. It works beautifully. And I, I like them. it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> run them off. It kills them. The two ounces of orange oil works uh, so well. It's unreal. By the way, I've got a tip for you uh, for the uh, fellow that called about the Italian cypress. Yeah. I wrote a <clears throat> column and did some pretty good research on that whole issue because we had it explode up here. It's a canker. That's a fungus. That, that's mm-hmm. what turns you know makes those brown spots and ends up killing the. Uh, the uh, tree is very similar to the disease. In fact, it may be exactly the same disease that hits the uh, Leyland cypress. And right. Like yeah. you, I don't recommend planting either one of those things anymore, just like Photinia. But yeah. if you have them, we can save them. And, this, and the way to save them is with the sick tree treatment. And it's pretty amazing how it works. With his, it would be pretty simple to do what he suggested, and that's cut off the contaminated, the infected side, mm-hmm. and do the sick tree treatment, and he can definitely save the uh, the tree. Not definitely, but by 95% chance of saving it. And, and I should uh, have mentioned it, but that root flare exposure is just as important oh, yeah. on an Italian cypress as every other woody shrub. I guarantee you, every one of those Italian cypresses are planted, uh, unless they've been listening to you and me and done something about it, or David Bond. <laughs> They're too deep in the ground. Yep. And the other thing is, I'm going to try to talk you into it one more time. Whenever uh, you use fish and seaweed, yeah. if you'll put the apple cider vinegar in it, it'll work twice as good. <laughs> you just keep whacking me over the head with that, and I'll eventually get it through my thick skull. But, you know, I, I was telling somebody in the nursery the other day that virtually everything you mix up, whether it's, uh, 
you know, Medina products or any of them out there, a little apple cider vinegar really enhances. To me, it's kind of like adding molasses to the BT. It just makes them so much more effective and, uh, yeah, well, thank you for reminding me once again. Eventually, it'll embed itself in my mind, and it'll, I'll make it more of a habit. But uh, I tell you I, something I ran into related to the Garrett Juice Mixture, which is, by the way, what we're talking about, everybody, the, the, the thing that has the four ingredients in it. I, had, I planted, finally got around uh, this year planting some tomato transplants, and I, I didn't do new bed preparation. I just stuck them in the ground with what was there. I'd been pretty good about staying out of the beds and walking in my uh, walkways that are the shredded native tree trimming. Mm-hmm. But I drenched the little tomato transplants uh, really well with Gary Juice. Poured it all over. You did use the breaker in the watering can in this case. Uh-huh. Just poured it over the top of them and... And so I'm hitting the foliage and drenching them really well. Well, as I was doing it, I noticed that one of them had some damage already, had some uh, damage from uh, obviously a cutworm because some of the leaves had been cut off and there was already Mm -hmm. a nick in the stem. Next day, it uh, had gone ahead and completely died, and I couldn't find the worm. I looked all over the place and couldn't find it. I don't know if naturally something got it or what. But now, and it's been over a week I haven't seen any damage to the other tomato plants at all, so we we may be getting some kind of a um, a natural uh, help on pest control there by doing that very very simple technique. I'm going to be doing it on a regular basis uh, on the uh, vegetables and also flowers and pots and everything, and see if I see some kind of a, a common pattern there. It may be something that's really beneficial. And, well, I'm sure it's going to be beneficial, but maybe in ways we didn't realize. Uh, right, we need to do, I mean, yeah. yeah, we we need to do the same thing on uh, on squash because that, uh, you know, that that squash vine borer continues yep. to be you know, always an issue, and and you know uh, we've tried everything, and and it seems like everything works for a little while, but then they get used to it. We've tried the bay leaves, we've tried um, several different repellents, but just somehow. They they keep coming back, and it may be that Garrett juice is uh, some because we ought to be using it anyway. I mean, there's so many other benefits, and maybe that'll help us uh, take care well, of it them. Could it could be the apple cider vinegar because that apple cider vinegar, as you kind of alluded to, is a synergistic uh, addition, and it may make some of those trace minerals that were otherwise not available available. We know yeah. that from some of the reports we've gotten from other people that putting out hair and and diatomaceous yep. earth and things that uh, contain bioavailable silica help. And you, when you're using that whole mixture that we're talking about, you're mm-hmm. probably creating a, a situation where you're helping uh, trace minerals in general become more right. available to the plant. And, some, and one of those may be silica, and that may be something that would absolutely help with the uh, squash vine uh, borers and the oh. squash bugs. Absolutely. How much? How much apple cider vinegar do you recommend adding to the Garrett juice? Uh, you know, uh, per gallon. Well, the, basic, say. the basic formula is to have a base of either liquid humate or mm-hmm. compost tea, and then per gallon of the mix, you have one ounce of uh-huh. seaweed, liquid molasses, and apple cider vinegar. 
That's that's what I do. Uh, one of our one of our friends and regular listeners just texted me while we were having that conversation. So wanted to be sure you and I were on the on the same page. But yeah, about an ounce per per gallon of finished uh, material. And you could do just, more, and it wouldn't hurt anything, but it'd probably be a waste of money to do it. Yeah. That ounce has really appeared to work very well for us over the years. And really, any apple cider vinegar, you know, works well. I I still like Bragg's for what I take myself, but uh, any of the good apple cider vinegars work for work fine in the garden, don't they? Yeah, I tend to buy the one that uh, is the generic one at the store that's selling it because your price is a little bit better. But right. if you get an apple right. cider vinegar in it that has the mother, it's probably probably a little bit better. Although it will increase the clumpiness just a, a wee bit you need to be really careful about cleaning out your sprays your sprayers and by the way i just uh one of uh, the mail or companies heard me talking about the uh, trombone sprayer and sent me one the hudson mm-hmm. sprayer is back on the market now if y'all don't have it in the store is it I'd i did not know it. that and oh yeah beautiful one they, they've turned it into a much better quality uh, trombone sprayer. It's it's brass, but they they coated it with whatever it is, silver uh, coating, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it has handles, and it uh, ah, also yeah. has a little extension that you can put on. It's about a uh, eight inch extension, so it it sprays even uh, farther than the old uh, trombone sprayers sprayed. And online, the retail of it is like sixty-five, sixty-nine bucks, or something like that. So I, I, it's just the regular Hudson Sprayer company that's got them. I've got it down on my on my pad here in front of me right now. Does it still have that uh, little cup washer in it that has to be replaced every couple of years? Uh, that's the only thing I've ever with a trombone sprayer. The only thing that needs any maintenance i'll put a little drop of mineral oil or something on it whenever i finish using it but there's that little and i think they used to be made out of cork there's a little cup yep, washer down in there the, i don't know yeah. i haven't broken into it to look at but that's uh that's the next step let's see what the deal is there and i'll uh, we'll share that information and let everybody know what they need to do maintenance wise you but know you probably you probably need to put either a picture of a or a video up at some point because you and I are sitting here talking and I hate to admit it but we're we're kind of old codgers in some ways and I bet you we've got a lot of younger listeners out there that don't even have any idea what a trombone sprayer is but to me it's still the most useful sprayer in the world because you can make whatever you're spraying in a bucket and lug it around with you and if for some reason you've got to spray up in the air I you know you can spray 15 20 feet with one of those so uh might be a fun little visit a fun little video for uh how Howard Garrett uses a trombone sprayer yeah, I need to do that, and also um, I'm doing a series of uh, of columns for the Dallas Morning News now about what pests you might run into in your new vegetable garden that you've got since you're at home with nothing else to do. And uh, <laughs> I'll do the next one, uh, including the trombone sprayer in that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, I tell you, if there's, you know, among the good things, of course, the nicest thing about all this is there's no traffic on the road, but uh, uh, yep. that's that's going to change. But we we have so many people are either planting a garden for the first time, so many people are getting their kids involved in gardening, and uh, it's it's just such a healthy activity. And, of course, everybody that comes through here, everybody that listens to you, listens to us, to me, 
Uh, they're all staying organic, and it's just fun seeing how many people are really getting into gardening now. And I always figure the more successful we make them, the more active they're going to be, and, and, and that's kind of a fun thing to be doing right now. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if my editor leaves in one little paragraph that I put in the uh, uh, column that I'm writing today that I'll send in today probably, and I put in there um, some of the mild pest control techniques that we use and products and so forth, and then I also said, don't use what you hear other people recommend, and that, it's so shocking when I see this in writing and all t- today, which I still do, of people recommending 7 and 2,4-D oh, and Roundup. And I put in this column that 7 is the, it, the active uh, ingredient in 7 is what killed those thousands of people in Bhopal, India. And I yep. know that because my father-in-law worked for them. And the uh, 2,4-D is one of the ingredients in Agent Orange, mm-hmm. and Roundup has been closely associated with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer, and autism in children. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see if she leaves that little paragraph in my column. Well, and will. I would, I I would hope so, and I would sure I'd add Crohn's disease to that list because I was uh, visiting with a very close friend. And a friend of his is is losing an older person to Crohn's disease. And I told him, I said, you realize that that's one of the many things that Roundup has been linked to. And he was absolutely horrified. He didn't know that. But almost any intestinal issue, and that's basically what Crohn's is. And it's it's horrible in, in kids yeah. and in adults. But it's it's certainly been tied to the pesticide residues as well. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's amazing that they still recommend that. And one thing I... I don't remember if I brought this up with you uh, yet or not, but I was one of my listeners uh, contacted me a week or so ago and asked me about Roundup for lawns. Did I bring that up with you? No, I have not heard it, that. It's really interesting. I did a quick uh, uh, look-see online and you know asked for the MSD issue, which I always do when I run into something I hadn't, haven't seen before. Roundup for lawns contains no glyphosate. What's in it is dicamba and mm-hmm. about four other toxic chemicals making a, an incredible soup. And there's apparently one of the chemical pushers uh, has written recently uh, that uh, he doesn't recommend the Roundup products that contain 2,4-D and other chemicals because it kind of confuses the issue and all that, which I certainly agree with. We oh don't yeah. Recommend any of them in any way, but apparently there's a, a very confusing bunch of mixtures of chemicals happening out there, and products being uh, put on the market that are even worse than than what we used to have to deal with. Well, our friend Diane Baines, when she it was actually the last seminar we did before we had to shut down on the gatherings, but. Uh, I did not know the numbers on it, but she was pointing out that the company, in this case Bayer Monsanto, that makes the product gets to declare what is the active ingredient in the product. And uh, they declared glyphosate the active ingredient in Roundup, whereas in truth, even the basic Roundup has two different additional things in it that make it 100 times as toxic as glyphosate alone and yet they don't have to put that on there they, they can call them inert ingredients and it's just you know the 
the deception that goes on and the fact that our so-called government allows this sort of thing, it's it's just it's horrible. And like you say, I, I was not aware that they had. I've not seen the Roundup for Lawns, but I will certainly be aware of it and talking about it now, I promise. Well, you just brought up something that may uh, answer why you see what you see on that label. They may be leaving glyphosate out of the list mm-hmm. because it has become such a negative thing you know, in the press because of all the uh, class action lawsuits. It may be in right. there and just not being listed. Interesting stuff. The answer oh. for everybody, and of course most of our listeners understand this, not really because we all both have new listeners coming in all the time, especially right now, especially on Sunday, by the way, if you hadn't, hadn't thought about it because people aren't going to church. Uh, good point. Much. Um, Good point. But uh, people just need to stop using the toxic chemicals, period. Just make it really simple. <laughs> just well, don't use any of that stuff. There's absolutely no reason to ever. People tell me, I always get a chuckle out of it in kind of a sick way. They say, well, I'm almost totally organic. And I'm like, really? <laughs> You're almost Maybe that's totally kind of like, organic. Yeah, I, I'm almost... Yeah, almost pregnant. You know, it's it's yeah, like somebody okay. once said, either you is or you isn't. There's no almost about it. But the other thing, too, is that people that do it with the natural and organic process, they just don't have to use those things. Uh, years ago, I, I think Roberta coined the phrase that the more you spray, the more you have to spray. And yep. people create exactly so many right. of their problems. Yeah, but... How often do I spray in my vegetable garden? I don't. I mean, I spray the, you know, the garret juice, the uh, with the extra seaweed, with the molasses, with things that are already in garret juice. But sometimes I want to enhance them a little bit. But I can't remember the last time I had to spray for pests, and because uh, they just aren't even out there. With Fire an organic. Yeah. Yeah. Even with an organic product. Yeah. That, that's what I tell people. Try to avoid using anything that kills as much as you can, including the organic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, in the landscape, of course, stay stay with native and adaptive plants wherever you can. You start oh, bringing in some of this really exotic stuff, then yeah, you're going to have to expect that those things are going to take a little bit more care to do well. But it's it's not like it's an effort to go organic. It's really easy to do, and I'll tell you, I don't hear of anyone once they have tried doing what you and I recommend that uh, I don't hear anybody going back to the pesticides and the bad stuff. No, it's those people that say they've gone almost and uh, they've had to step over the line. I'll ask them specifically what they did and they'll tell me it was some disease or some insect that has a you know totally non-toxic easy solution. It's just that for some reason people think that when they're using uh, an organic thing they're still something that they can use that's a little bit more powerful and more ultimate and, and that kicks them over into the chemical way of doing things but it's it's just wrong-headed you just don't need to do it yeah it in, really in is any case and we we also and i know you do this and i do this it's it's just we don't have to have a monoculture in a yard i don't know who it is that convinced a huge number of people that if you've got two weeds in your yard, you're somehow a failure. And uh, I, I tell people your lawnmower is the best controller you've got. And little clover, you better look at that as an indication your soil is hard. If you've got a weed, it's probably telling you something about what else you need to do. But, oh, 
I, you know, I, I get as frustrated <laughs> with some of the crazy things, and I always try to remain civil, but I talk to people all the time that are doing something that is so stupid that I, I just kind of scratch my head and, and wonder why, but, uh, I know, well, I know we get more and more people every day doing it the right way. It's just frustrating okay. that everybody doesn't do it. One of my golf buddies who's actually built a golf course, uh, in the recent past called me and sent me an email and he said, I've got, uh, to take out some turf in the backyard and we'll put in some new turf and do a putting green. He said, how can, what can I spray it that's non-toxic for my dogs and stuff? <laughs> this is the guy that <laughs> used Roundup all over the place in this commercial project. And I said, well, the best thing to do is just set, uh, borrow the sod cutter from the superintendent and set the sod cutter at an inch and a half to two inches at the very most and cut it all out and take it out and be done with it and put in yeah. new, new stuff. And he said, well, is there nothing I can spray? I said, yeah, if you want to spray, you can spray 20% vinegar, the strong vinegar, and kill it and go that route. Well, that's what he did. He didn't want to cut out and do that. He wanted to spray something and kill it. Oh. He sprayed the vinegar, and he sent me a text a couple, few days later, and he said, gosh, it worked beautifully. He said, that was incredible. He said, do you have anything for bamboo? <laughs> Uh, and that's that's the funny thing. People are so amazed that they try what we suggest, and and then they seem to be really amazed that it worked. But you know, it, it's funny you you mentioned that because I was just sitting here thinking. Uh, Chris had said Tater greeted him, and uh, I'm sitting here with Hannah and Maya with me and all. And and that's the other thing we need to convey to people that all this stuff that they're spraying on the grass is deadly to their animals. Dr. Kirby has gotten to where when somebody comes in with an animal with uh, with bad cancers and things like that, first thing he asks him is, do you use weed killers? Do you spray the yard? And he says invariably the answer is yes. And, uh, you know, you and I both love our animals more than we like a lot of people. And, and if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your pets because they're running around barefooted, absorbing this stuff directly through their pads. And uh, you're killing your pets if you put this put this crap on your yard. That's right, and all that wonderful anecdotal evidence that he has and we all have is not acceptable. You know, to those guys out there and uh, gals that uh, say that you know nothing means anything unless we have clinical trials. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, we're not probably ever going to have that because you can't do that in nature. You can't have one variable at a time mm-hmm. with anything that uh, is done in the natural landscape and garden right and and that's the problem with so many of these other things that are bad they say well there's no there's no evidence on humans well you can't use humans in a trial and um so uh, i don't know it's just frustrating i will mention one thing and uh just for the benefit of uh, all of our listeners but uh dr kirby was wanting me to let him know if we know anyone who has a pet with uh, this bad cancer called osteosarcoma. It's a very painful disease and a very bad disease, but he has a new protocol, something that should just come out that he feels has the potential to really, really help with that. So if you oh, should sure. encounter anyone with uh, problems with osteosarcoma, he sure would love to talk to him and tell him about this new protocol that uh, looks like it's going to offer a lot of hope, especially if it's caught early. Okay. Um, in case I don't remember that, drop me a, 
a text on it <laughs> at some point, and we'll keep an eye on it. Better let y'all go. You got other uh, people to help, and we will uh, do this again next week, as always. Well, as always, it's such a pleasure visiting with you, Howard, and thank you for generosity and sharing your time and your knowledge. And uh, yes, I will. <laughs> I'm I'm going to put a something in, in front of me that says apple cider vinegar dummy, and then maybe I'll remember to do it <laughs> to mention it more often here. So, as always, you have a great week, and I'll sure look forward to next Saturday. Enjoy it. See you next week. All right, Howard. Thank you. Thank you so very much. All right. We've still got Betty and Ann and David to deal with and answer questions and help every way we possibly can. So let's get started. Uh, Betty's up first. Good morning, Betty. Hi, Bob. Hi. Getting some good rain over here. Outstanding. (laughs) Okay, this is my deal. I started some candle tree uh, from seed. Yeah, Hamper's Candlestick, yes. Candlestick is that what it what it's called? Okay. Yeah. I put two seeds in each little paper cup. Now, uh-huh. some of them, both seeds came up. Do I leave them or do I take one away? No, go ahead and leave them. Leave the uh, two Emperor's okay. candlesticks makes a big plant. It's going to grow six feet tall, but it's kind of like okra. Um, it doesn't really hurt if you have a couple of them. You just space them out a little bit further when you plant them in the ground. Wonderful plant, old-fashioned plant, but absolutely beautiful. But it's going to get big, so when you set those little seedlings out, you know, space them at least uh, 18 inches apart or so. Okay. Um, I've, I've got about nine little paper cups of them. I'm going to give uh-huh. them to neighborhood kids to kind of watch watch them grow. I've grown it, and it's it's kind of an unusual plant. So oh, it's it's beautiful. Be- Just as always, let them get up to a pretty good size, so the kids are pretty much guaranteed success. But yeah, it'll be a wonderful thing. Just tell them to plant them in full sun because they love it. Yeah, full sun. And how tall should they get before I um, have the kids plant them out? You can plant them any time. I would love to see them, you know, a minimum of six or eight inches tall. But yeah, that's a that's a decision that uh you can make and it depends on the age of the kids obviously the younger the kid the bigger it needs to be (laughs) so Uh, that it doesn't get too damaged some parental supervision do you think i should uh, bump them up though to a a little bit bigger container and let them get a little bit bigger before i give them i would I'd, i'd put them in gallon cans Okay. All right. Well, that takes care of my my situation. Thank you. Well, you keep up the good work and keep those kids entertained in a very healthy fashion. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so much. Bob. Appreciate it, Betty. Certainly. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. Just finishing up the garden show for today. We'll do all this again uh, tomorrow morning from eight till eleven. Uh, Chris just told me that uh, Martin Bamba is. Uh, has called in and is doing, of course, the show remotely, but uh, you'll be able to get all the information you need on home improvement starting right after we get through talking gardening. So be thinking up those questions as well. Um, we're going to talk to Ann and David, and Ann is up first. Good morning, Ann. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I think I'll make this quick. Um, we all have altered schedules these days, and um, I have a number of Howard's books, but I really have never had anything, any any opportunity to look at his website. Uh-huh. And um, hearing you all talk about his the articles he writes for the paper, 
Uh, do you know if those articles are on his website? Yes, yes, they are. Uh, his website, I tell you what, go to it when you have a little time because it's a it's a huge thing. They he I don't know how he gets so much information on there, but it's dirtdoctor.com. And um, I, I don't have a computer in front of me, or I'd bring it up and tell you exactly where to find the articles. But uh, yes, they will be they will be on the uh, on the website and in his uh, archives. You can go back and read about as far back as you want to go. Oh, okay. Is it the Dallas Morning News? Uh, Dallas Morning News is who he writes for. Now he does. You know, I get to talk to people in South Texas, anybody wants to listen on the Internet. Howard is actually syndicated in like 200 markets around the country. So he talks to a lot of people over a very, very wide area. But uh, so far as I know, the Dallas Morning News is the only place that carries his, uh, you know, his gardening column. And um, mm-hmm. it is not syndicated yet, but uh, full of wonderful information. Okay. All righty. Um, and in light of your conversation with him, make sure to talk about outside of Vinegar next week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just such good stuff, and it's good for people as well. It's one of those, you know, kind of old-fashioned grandma used to do this, but grandma was pretty darn healthy for most of her life, too. So it's... Uh, one of those things, you know, we just we get so busy, at least I do, and there's so many different things. I, I don't always remember everything I should remember, and I need to be, uh, you know, nudged a little bit to keep talking about all those things. But apple cider <laughs> vinegar really is good stuff in the garden world as well. Thank you for your time. You know, it's always a pleasure, and thank you for the call this morning. We'll talk again. All right, let's finish up calls with David, and that'll leave me a little time to talk about a couple of things after that. But, David, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Um, I live up in Canyon Lake. Yes, sir. Can you give me a recommendation for a horticulturist to come look at my pecan trees? Um. I will tell you where I would start, and I don't know if he does a lot of work in the Canyon Lake area, but he can certainly uh, certainly tell you someone in the area. And uh, his name is David Vaughn, V-A-U-G-H-A-N. And um, I'm picking up my phone here, and if I can make my fumble fingers work a little bit quickly here i'll actually i can give you his phone number but uh david is is a consulting arborist he was with enter tree care for many years and with another of the big companies before that but uh he he does independent consulting now and he's he's the best i've ever encountered but i don't know how far he goes if he can't help you i'm sure he knows someone who could and uh are you ready to write yes sir i am his uh is eric code 210 number 788 Four nine eight six. Very good, Bob. I and appreciate if, it very much. If you lose that, you can just Google David Vaughn Arborist, and uh, you know it will come up. But uh, yeah, he's what? What's the issue with your pecan trees, or do you have an issue? You just want to make sure they're growing the best well, they can. Mostly, I, I, I don't know. They're just they're just looking a little puny. Uh huh. And, um, and I don't want to lose them. We live right on the river bank, and uh-huh. you know, I just I don't want to lose them. I have two two pretty good sized pecan trees. Well, very good. No, he he would be uh, he would be a real good guy to talk to. And I'm glad you said you're on the river bank because that's that's the one thing about pecan trees, and probably 
most of the time, when I see a pecan tree with problems, it's somebody that planted it where you have shallow soil. And pecan trees have to have deep soil to do well. But if you're if you're on the river bank, you've got that good old deep alluvial soil. Pecan should do extremely well for you. So yeah, well, give David a call. A, maybe go ahead. We've got a little uh, a little more ball moss on them this year than we've had before. And of course, they just they just sprouted out, you know, in the last week or so. Uh, little buds on them. Yeah, but there seems to be a lot more ball moss than usual. <clears throat> well, and you know why that is, and it's largely due to the weather. And the more mature a pecan tree gets, the more more ball moss it's going to have. Because if you've ever looked at ball moss, which of course is actually a bromeliad, a tillandsia, when it flowers, it makes these little seeds that are kind of like a dandelion, and they've got a little parachute that they blow around. And the rougher the bark gets on a tree, there is more places that that little seed can lodge and sprout and grow. And it takes absolutely nothing from the tree. So the only place it's ever going to cause a problem is if it gets so thick that it's just shading out things. But, uh, uh, you're going to have, you're going to have more ball moss simply because the bark gets rougher, more places for it to attach itself and grow. You can always just, you know, break it out with a stick if you want to if you really don't like it you can spray it with baking soda but i tend to just leave it alone and i find that my pecan trees get so thick with leaves that uh it's it's rarely an issue i don't i probably have a tenth as much of my pecans as i do in my oak trees so i sure wouldn't lose any sleep over it but the fact that you've got more than usual it's just easier for it to get started it's not a sign of a problem with your pecan trees very well. Okay. Well, I'll give David Vaughn a call uh, Monday, I guess, and uh, uh, let him come look at it and see if they need to be pruned or whatever. I just, I just don't want to lose them. I totally understand that. It's our state tree. We, it's, it's a great tree to have out there, especially, uh, especially what you, where you've got room for it. That, that's the other problem with pecan trees. So many people try to plant them in a little residential yard, and pecan trees just too big for most yards. So, anyway, will you call David? Tell him I said hello and. Uh, uh, the name David should be a little easy for you to remember. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate your help, and I enjoy your show. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye.